This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the celebrated Academy of Freiburg, the Tanz Dance Academy of Germany. At Tanz Academy, let our dance instructors bewitch you. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week on Pod Cemetery, it's a double feature. The late night. 1977's and 2018's Suspiria. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What 2013 film was inspired by the Amityville story and features paranormal investigators? What 2013 film was based on the inspired it's inspired by no i know yeah the, the amityville, amityville story. horror story and features paranormal investigators it's um the conjuring that's correct kelsey yes the very distinct color scheme of dario argento's suspiria yeah. is inspired by what animated disney film snow white that is correct. Yeah. All right, well, let's move right into Dario Argento's Suspiria. Okay. I say Dario Argento's Suspiria, but it's actually written by Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi, directed by Dario Argento, starring Jessica Harper, Stefania Cassini, Flavio Bucci, and Joan Bennett. What is Suspiria about? An American girl goes to the best dancing school in the world in Germany and discovers a frightening secret there. And that's literally the whole plot. You could that like that's the plot of the movie. It's not more complicated than that. <laughs> Very simple movie, but with a lot of layers. Yeah. It is available for free on Tubi TV, which is where we watched it, but that does mean you will get commercials if you don't already own it. Should people watch Suspiria? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Of course. It's very good. Yeah. It, again, it's not, don't watch it for the plot. It's not some fantastic plot or some fantastic mystery. It's, it's much more an experience. Of a, yeah, it's much more of a visual experience. They both are for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any interest in seeing these, I would recommend watching it before we talk about it because. Yes. Like Chris says, there's not a lot going on with the plot. But once you know the plot, you're just going to be like. Okay, I get it, but you're not going to see all the stunning visuals, which is what this whole movie is about. Yes, it is It is designed to be sort of dreamlike or nightmarish in quality visually throughout the whole thing. And they contrast it very rarely, but it does happen, especially in the beginning of the movie, with reality. But just a couple of things to get us started. It's not really based on the movie, but background information the term Suspiria comes from Suspiria de Profundis, which is a 1845 book by English essayist Thomas de Quincey. 
Literally, Suspiria de Profundis means size from the depths. So Suspiria is the plural of Suspirium, which means size. The mother of size is one of three sorrows as described in Suspiria de Profundis. Those three sorrows being Mater Lacrimarum, Our Lady of Tears, Mater Tenebrarum, Our Lady of Darkness. Tenebre. Which has nothing to do with this remarkably. I know. I know. <laughs> Trust me. And, of course, Mater Suspiriorum, or the Mother of Sighs. She's never actually referred to as that in this movie. She's just referred to as Helena Marcos. Stop. Huh. So you're telling me. Yes, he has a movie that uses a term of one of these three mothers. It is not included as part of the trilogy of movies that are about these three mothers. That is correct. We're talking, by the way, about Tenebrae which has to do with something else. Tenebrae is a religious service in Western Christianity. I had to look this up. During the three days preceding Easter, and characterized by, quote, gradual extinguishing of candles, and by a strepitous or loud noise taking place in total darkness near the end of the service. Hence, Lady of Darkness being Mater Tenebrarum. These are completely coincidental that he happens to have a movie called Tenebrae. It is not one of the three movies in the Three Mothers trilogy, which includes 1980's Inferno, which focuses on Mater Tenebrarum, not Tenebrae, and 2007's The Mother of Tears, which is just what they called it, focusing on Mater Lacrimarum. And it is apparently terrible <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> so that's just where the concept of Mater Suspiriorum comes from, the term Suspiria. It all comes from this Suspiria de Profundis from the 1800s. But the actual story of this movie comes from co-writer and Dario's significant other at the time, Daria Nicolodi. Daria is Dario's baby mama. She's Asia Argento's mother, who her grandmother was sent to a music academy in Germany. And apparently when she showed up, she was shocked to discover that they were practicing black magic there and ran away from the music academy and one day told her granddaughter, Daria Nicolodi, about it. And that's kind of what they used as the basis of the plot of this movie. Who knows if that's true? I'm sure it's not. <laughs> but it's a fun, interesting story. I mean, I'm I'm sure the grandmother's story isn't true. I'm sure it's true that the grandmother did tell Daria about it. She probably got there and they were like smoking weed or something like that. And they're like, it's black magic. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You can take our advice or leave it. What was our advice again? To watch See it. it. When we get back, we will talk about 1977's Suspiria. You can run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Who's there? Who's there? But you cannot escape Suspiria. 
Once you've seen Suspiria, you will never again feel safe in the dark. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Suspiria begin? We open with a narrator explaining that a American girl is going to Germany for the best dancing school in the world. Yeah, okay, so the credits aren't even done yet. And we get the only instance of narration in the entire movie. It never comes back. And it says, Susie Banyan decided to perfect her ballet studies in the most famous school of dance in Europe. She chose the celebrated Academy of Fribourg. One day at nine in the morning, she left Kennedy Airport, New York, and arrived in Germany at 10.40 p.m. local time. Giving you these, like, little details as if they're going to be important. They're absolutely not. It's just like, eh, you need to know why she's here. Susie Banyan is played by Jessica Harper, who Argento cast after watching Phantom of the Paradise, which are we going to do that movie, Kelsey? It is on the list. Okay. Do you know how long our list is? <laughs> From 1974. He cast her basically because of her eyes. He loved her eyes, and he wanted to see her eyes play like a character in this movie. So what's she doing? She's showing up in Germany at 10.40 p.m. local time. <laughs> yeah, uh, we immediately get red everywhere. Red will become a major lighting experience, but if you notice it in the beginning, it's like people are all wearing red around her and yeah, stuff like that. including... Daria Nicolodi, who wanted to play the main character in this, but didn't. She's in other Dario Argento movies, though. But she is one of the people walking out of the airport with her, and she's wearing all red. There you go. It does this cool thing where it switches between looking at Susie in, like, the second-person view and then seeing from her perspective towards the exit of the airport. And then, like, the doors open. Everything changes. Like, the music changes, the sound effects change, the lighting changes, then they close again, and it changes back. And it it's like signaling to her that, yes, she's headed to danger on the other side of these doors. Maybe she feels it too, maybe she doesn't, but either way, we are leaving the reality of this airport, where everything's kind of real, into the fantastic dream world of the rest of this plot. Yes. And it is on the other side of these doors. Yes. It, feel, it feels like the, the music that will play constantly throughout the film, anytime there's going to be something magical, uh, it feels like the music is pulling her outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a storm going on outside. But you talk about color. Should we, should we have a conversation about the color in the movie? Okay. Because that's going to be kind of a big yes. chunk of, of conversation here. Okay. There are tons of different articles you can read about this, plenty of different sources. One of the ones that I picked up on, though, was American Cinematographer magazine, because they talk specifically about Giuseppe Bassan, who's the production designer, and Luciano Tavoli, who's the director of photography in this movie, and specifically how Argento wanted that sort of Technicolor feeling from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Tavoli says... One fundamental issue on Suspiria was, quote, the choice of colors and the way I utilized them in accordance with Giuseppe Bassan, who was working under Argento's inspired guidance. 
We were often making our decisions in the flow of the shooting without too many elaborate consultations or directions, but just in a kind of magic comprehension. So keep that in mind. Don't put too much stock into what the different colors mean. Red specifically doesn't mean much different than, say, blue in this movie. People try to accompany red with blood. It's not really the case. The case is really pulling out these sharp, spectacular colors to make this place feel like a dream. Tavoli says, I decided to intensively utilize primary colors, blue, green, red, even though green is not a primary color, but that's okay. But yeah, those are the three colors that you're going to notice the most. To identify the normal flow of life and then apply a complementary color, mainly yellow, which by the way, giallo, that's what giallo means. This is a giallo film. Giallo, by the way, we mentioned last time we did uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It's named after the yellow covers of Italian pulp novels. These movies were basically the film equivalent of those pulp novels from Italy. But anyway, he says, apply a complementary color, mainly yellow, to contaminate them. A horror film brings to the surface some of the ancestral fears that we hide deep inside us, and Suspiria would not have had the same cathartic function if I had utilized the fullness and consolatory sweetness of the full-color spectrum. To immediately make Suspiria a total abstraction from what we call everyday reality, I use the usually reassuring primary colors only in their purest essence, making them immediately, surprisingly violent and provocative. This brings the audience into the world of Suspiria. One thing he does mention, though, is that the counter to this is that because it is so dreamlike, it does mean that the audience kind of feels safe because none of this feels real. And that's kind of the counter side of it. How they got these colors is that this movie was the last movie, or at least some people say it's the last movie, to use the three-strip print process. It's not a three-strip Technicolor camera that was used. It was actually filmed on Eastman color, but it was printed using a three strip print process where they print out the film onto three different colors, you know, magenta, cyan, and yellow. And then they transfer each of those lines onto a single strip ultimately. So Technicolor had these giant machines that would accomplish this. They were really huge and really complex. And I love seeing the pictures of them. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how big they are. Right. Exactly. According to Technicolor Italy, this was the last movie that they ever printed in this Technicolor three strip print process. And then after they printed this film, they dismantled the machine. Right now, no machine, as far as I'm aware, exists and we can see running. They're all in parts and be, according to one report we were looking at, it would be a huge, complex, and expensive process to put them back together, and nobody's done it. So this is the last movie that could ever be made this way. So I think that's pretty interesting. Very. And the colors are very vibrant, and they do create a wonderful tone throughout the film. But as Chris said, if you try to, like, associate meaning with it, it starts to lose its wonder, and I think that's what it mainly is there for, a sense of wonder, a sense yeah. of you've gone into the realm of magic. Yeah, and they, they literally would, they would, like, put gels over lights, and they would hold them just feet away from the actors' faces. Oh, God. And, yeah, no, apparently that was, like, a whole big thing yeah. where they were, like, dying, and some... 
women were like afraid their hair was going to catch on fire. Yeah, like it was all the hairspray. Yeah, shit. so it was apparently a big thing. But he was very intense and very specific about getting these colors on the screen. On the other hand, the remake doesn't really get colorful until the very fucking end. It's all grays and browns and tans and things like that. Yeah. And it kind it, of ramps up in color over time. The remake didn't really give a shit about the color. The remake gave a shit about dancing, which is funny because this movie does not. It really fuck about the dancing. There is one <laughs> scene of dancing in the entire movie. <laughs> but anyway, she's on her way to the dance school. So <laughs> when she goes outside into the storm, First of all, there's suddenly no one else is out there. Yeah. Which is funny because she just left. Well, it's supposed a to be weird. Airport, right. It's supposed to be weird. Uh, it's it's raining so hard that no one wants to stop to let her into their cab, which also doesn't make a lot of sense. And she asks for help. And he to doesn't get the bags bother. In and he doesn't get out of the car. That makes more sense with the rain. Like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm not getting out in this rain. <laughs> but it doesn't make a lot of sense that nobody would stop to get her to let her in. But so. She gets in and she says where she wants to go and it's in German. She doesn't speak German. But like he keeps being like, what? What? And then he she shows him it written down. And when he says it, it sounds almost exactly the same as what she said. Yeah. Nah. He's just being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So we start to see red and green lighting a lot. She asks, has it been raining this hard for very long? And after a long pause, because this guy just does not want to talk to her. Uh, he finally says half an hour, and that's all he says. Uh-huh. They have to drive through the woods, which is a cool shot. Yeah. There's just, there's so much, like we said, visual stuff going on here. It'd be really difficult to describe, so I'm not going to try. Really, just watch the movie. We start to hear creepy voices and stuff. This will happen a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of odd sounds and voices Whenever you hear it, you're just supposed to assume that magic shit is happening. Kind of the same as the colors, but the colors are more to set the atmosphere, whereas when you can hear the voices, you know something magical is happening at that moment. Yeah. She sees a woman... At the front door of the academy. ...yelling something, and she can only make out a couple of words, and then the person runs out into the rain... Now, I know she just showed up. I know she's had a hard time getting here. I know it's raining. I get all that. But she does not seem very concerned. It's just like a... Okay. All right. (laughs) Not my problem. Do your thing, girl. So she talks into the thing and and wants to come in, but the person on the intercom won't let her in. Yeah. So it's like... Who are you? I'm Susie Banyan. I'm supposed to be here. I don't have your name down. So she's just like, oh, fucking well, I guess, and gets into the cab and just tells him, take me to a hotel. And as she's driving away, she sees that same woman running through the woods and again is not concerned, doesn't say to the driver, hey, we should stop and help this woman. Hey, maybe we should contact the authorities. Nope, just not my problem. Yep. (laughs) So this woman is Pat Hingle, who the movie kind of transitions over to her point of view for a little bit and we see her show up at her friend's apartment which has like the that whole bird fish optical illusion in the wallpaper and there's tons of fantastic wallpaper in this movie incredible design elements 
uh, all over the place, just very bold and out there stuff. In fact, I think I saw a print of wallpaper in this film at some point. It kind of looks like birds are flying. I think it's in somebody's bathroom. No, no, that's this one. That's one I'm talking about. It's a bird flying, and in the negative space, it's a fish swimming. Oh, well, I was going to say... I just saw in some trendy thing online that a new wallpaper that's going to be so in in 2020 <laughs> is it looks very similar to that with yeah. big loud birds uh, on it. So that's like strange and ornate wall decorations. Um, but anyway, apparently she's- you can look forward to seeing that in houses <laughs> coming soon. I would totally do that. Yeah, I I will always want. A focus wall. Uh-huh. Really loud. An accent wall. Bright print. Uh-huh. Big birds, something like that. So. I'd love to do that, too. So cool. Let's do that. Let's get a house and let's do that. Good. So, anyway, Pat Hingle, who, by the way, is the name of an actor. Pat Hingle plays Commissioner Gordon in the Batman movies. This evidence is purely circumstantial. I don't know why they named her Pat Hingle, but they did. Okay. Uh, but anyway... She goes to her friend's apartment to recover, to get dried off. This is the first time we get a lot of blue. Yeah. And she's, like, looking out the window. She's freaking out. And her friend is really worried about her. And she's like, I don't give a shit that I got kicked out. You wouldn't understand. This is all too fantastic, too absurd. And that's kind of going to give us a hint into how the rest of the movie is going to play out. The window comes crashing open, uh-huh. which freaks her the fuck out. And the other girl's like, why don't you just close it? Yeah. <laughs> she's just sitting there with the, with the window open. She Friend comes in and closes the window. But she's staring out this window for a while until she sees just eyes. Yes, she sees eyes. And then a hand comes crashing in and it smashes her face into uh, the other window and breaks that. The hands of the murderer, by the way, are... Dario Argento's, which he does several times in lots of different movies. The shot here is very strange because I guess the implication is that she's been taken outside. But then, like, she's surrounded by, like, fence. She's dragged. Okay, so here's what's happening. Her friend can't get in the room and there's a screaming. There's the crashing. Her friend's trying to bang in and can't get in the room. She goes outside to other apartments in their building and banging on the doors asking for help and nobody's coming. Meanwhile, Pat is dragged outside and up to the roof. So she's at the roof. Yes. It's really not, it's not clear how they got there or anything like that. Yeah. Her chest is opened up and she is stabbed through her still beating heart. Yes. And while her friend is downstairs looking up, she comes, her head breaks through the, this really ornate sort of stained glass design. Bright colors. Bright colors, yes. In the ceiling. And then the whole thing shatters and she comes falling through. This cable snaps off its bracers, which is wrapped around her body, and it comes sliding up and then hanging her as well. So she is killed in multiple different ways. And meanwhile, her friend is also killed by which, the falling glass. by the way, glass. doesn't make a lot of sense if you take into account where she was standing. She was off a little bit she to the side. She was way off to the side. Yes. And this thing goes straight through her. Yeah. I don't get it. But it's still <laughs> interesting. So now both of these women are dead. 
<laughs> I have that written down. When Pat is murdered, her chest is opened and she's stabbed in her beating heart. Plus, she's hanged and her friend impaled in the process. <laughs> it's like, yes. Jesus. Yes. Dario loved his violence. Uh-huh. Next day, we meet a blind man who is their pianist. Well, because Susie shows back up again, tries again the next day. Yes, so she shows up again, and when she shows up, we see the blind man come in. I'm mentioning him because he will be murdered later, <laughs> even though he really didn't do fucking shit. No. Like, they just decided they didn't like him, basically. Uh-huh. When she comes in, Susie, she's like, hi, I was here last night, and y'all wouldn't let me the fuck in. And the head lady's like, who wouldn't let you in? She's like, I don't know. She wouldn't say who she was. Like, basically, well, no matter, you're here now. Let's get you started. (laughs) Because she was, like, accusing her of being late. Yes. You were supposed to show up last night. Yes. (laughs) Good morning. May I help you? Yes, I'm Susie Bannon. We expected you yesterday evening. You wrote us that... Right, I did arrive last night about 10 o'clock, but um, the door was locked, and somebody on the call box said they didn't know who I was and couldn't let me in. Who said that to you? I don't know. She didn't say what her name was. I'm so sorry. Well, at any rate, now you're here, Manga. So, welcome to our academy. So she takes her in and introduces her to the headmistress, I guess. She's just like, oh, you know, you're really pretty. Um, your aunt has always been a fantastic benefactor to our to our school. So I guess, I mean, like, this is supposed to be the number one school in all the world. And yet the things that happen here, it's yeah. like, there's no fucking way you'd be open anymore. <laughs> the shit that goes down here. Like, how on earth are you still alive? Should we... Should we talk, now that we're having conversations, should we talk about the Italian style of filmmaking at the time and dialogue? Sure. So this happens in spaghetti westerns and everything as well. Everyone is speaking their own language. So Jessica Harper, who was Susie Banyan, she's American, so she's speaking English. And everyone else is speaking or German and... In addition to that, Argento would play the music by Goblin, by the way, uh, which is fantastic music, would play it really, really loud on set as they were acting. So none of the actual sound of the moment was ever picked up. They would come back in and they would dub it later with with, with different voices depending on the region. That's why you'll you'll notice that it's dubbed, but then in some cases it looks like their mouth is going along with the dubbing. That's because so they were speaking we English. We didn't actually but they hear Susie's voice. We did, but oh. as as a dub, it was ADR in later. She did her own dub. Yes, yes. got it. Udo Kier, exposition man, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> he's one of the actors. He didn't have time to memorize the script or anything like that, so they literally had cards with his lines on it on the ground. There was a there was a person on the ground, and he would have his lines, and he would just be reading them off of the cards and he's just like right there under the two of them as they're having a conversation just like feeding Udo his lines when she goes and she talks to that young man who seems to be an expert on witchcraft or whatever there's that segment where she talks to the two doctors about witchcraft it's during the daytime there's not these weird technicolor colors anyway this is just stories that Jessica Harper would tell about how weird it was working on this movie (laughs) but yeah that's why it's dubbed is because every version is dubbed There is no original audio. Interesting. 
They explain that the girl that she saw the night before has been murdered. Yep. <laughs> so she got expelled and murdered in the same day. Yep. I wonder if that has anything to do with anything. They explain to her that for whatever reason, her room is not ready, so she will have to stay in town with one of the other girls. And the cost of that will be taken out of her tuition fee, so it's not like she has to pay an extra amount. They also explain to her that we only teach specialization. We expect you to already know all of the basics, so we do not teach you how to dance. Right. We're going to teach you how to perfect your dance. Yeah. We meet this Igor-type character who you think is going to become important. He's not. really not. They even talk about, like, because he looks at her lighter or something like that. And he does steal it later, but, like, it doesn't matter. Right. They comment on, like, oh, he wouldn't steal. He's just a nice guy. and But, like, nothing, nothing happens. And, like, he's evil, too, and he looks evil, but, like... Oh, he's a simpleton, and he only speaks Hungarian, so yeah. don't worry about him. But, like, he is totally evil, but it but so doesn't, doesn't he fucking doesn't matter. He doesn't do anything. And no. Ha- yeah, it's, yeah, anyway. She meets the girl that she's supposed to live with, and she's a little bit bitchy, a little bit of a bully. This um, is Olga? Olga. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. But then again, she finds out that pretty much everyone is. She needs to borrow shoes, because her shoes are still in town. And this girl's like, I'll give them to you. You just got to pay me for it. And she's like, I don't want to buy them. I just need to use them for one day. And the girl's not not happy about it. Yeah. And there's this conversation that happens with Olga where she's like, oh, you know what I heard is that women whose names start with S are actually snakes. And she's like hissing. And then Sarah, who will become a key character later, like sticks her tongue out at her. And it's like, and it's really weird. Do you know why that is? You already told me. It's because Dario Argento originally designed the story to where the dancers were about 12 years old. And when they decided, because of the studio, because his dad, Salvatore Argento, who was producing the film, was like, "Uh, we shouldn't have this much violence with children. Mm -hmm. Dario changed the ages of all the characters, but didn't change any of the dialogue. And so that's why a lot of these characters, are they kind of sound like they're just kids. Mm-hmm. And they behave like they're kids. Because they were. They were designed to be 12. Susie. Sarah. I once read that names which begin with the letter S are the names of snakes. It's just funny because aside from really small things like that, like this scene, you uh-huh. can't tell the difference. Yeah. There's like a boy that she flirts with, but that doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't go anywhere. She ends up talking to her roommate, Olga, about the girl who goes missing. And she's like, well, I can't believe it happened. But you know what? She kind of deserved to get kicked out because she was always arguing, always causing problems. But she would always mumble stuff to herself. And that's when Susie's like, well, it's interesting that you say that, because when I saw her at the door, she was shouting some sort of gibberish. And she's like, something about a secret iris or something. Okay, when she's telling this story, she's in the room with the iris. Oh, is she really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And she doesn't realize it. I thought they had this conversation back at Olga's apartment. 
She's talking to somebody about the iris, and she no, maybe it's the second conversation that she has when she reveals more information to the teacher. So the next day at back at school, the headmistress comes up to her and she's like, "Oh, good news! We've got your room all ready." And she's like, "I didn't want to move here. I'm perfectly happy living with Olga." And she's like, "But you said on your application that you would be living here in the dormitory." She's like, "Yeah." But then you had me live over there, and I'm much happier there. (laughs) And it's really interesting because the teacher comes up to her and says, I had no idea you were so strong-willed. My compliments. Uh I had no idea you were so strong-willed. I see that when you make up your mind about something, nothing will change it for you. My compliments. Which is funny because she doesn't actually want her to be strong-willed. Well, she doesn't want her to be defiant. She wants her to be strong-willed. Directly after that, Susie is walking through the hallway and she sees this maid who we see a lot, but she doesn't really talk at all. We see this boy who is the headmistress's nephew or something. Yeah. And they they don't really talk and you know that they're part of the coven and they're just evil. Uh-huh. And they use a crystal and put some sort of spell on her. And all of a sudden she feels so faint and she walks in to do rehearsal and she just can't. The only scene it. with dancing, by the way. Is that the only this one? This is the only one where they dance. And she can't handle it. And it's kind of a, an interesting image because she's teetering around and she's on her he- toes the whole time. Yeah, it's interesting because there's some straight on shots, there's some aerial shots, there's a shot that's like isometric where it's like at a three quarters angle. It's really great visually. And yeah, she's like dizzy and like she's going to fall over and she's on point mm-hmm. the entire time. Mm-hmm. Which you are not supposed to do. You're not supposed to stay on your toes for that long. Because uh-huh. it's really bad for you. Uh-huh. Secrets. Secrets. Those people's feet bleed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she explains, I just feel really weak. And they're like, okay, well, obviously you need to stay here. So we've already got all your stuff. And we've already got a doctor. So yeah. you, you don't have to go back to town now. And she's just like, cool. Great. Now I guess I'm forced to live here. Yes, which is exactly what it was. And after the doctor suggests that she has to eat bland food for a week and she has to drink a glass of wine every night. So now she's stuck here. And she even says, it's like nothing ever happened to me. I feel perfectly fine. And she doesn't understand that, yeah, you you feel fine because they want you to feel fine now. Yeah. So this kind of hurts Susie's feelings. She assumes that maybe Olga, I guess Olga didn't like me or Olga thought what I had was contagious. So she wanted me here. And then that night, her first night there, things start to fall on the girls. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what's actually happening is they're dropping rice on them. But in the context of the movie, something's like falling and it, like, gets in her hair as she's, like, combing it. <laughs> and it's like, what is this? And then, like, pulls it out of her hair, and it's a maggot. And she freaks out, looks up, and the ceiling is just full of them. Yes. And she runs out into the hallway, only to find all the other girls screaming their heads off and running out into the hallway, too. And it's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they say, okay, there's... A problem, we bought some meat that we were storing in the attic, and it was obviously rotten, and we were not aware of it, so we're going to have somebody come in, clean it all up, 
But for one night, we're all going to have to sleep in effectively the gymnasium. We order those cases of food by mail from a reliable firm that we thought to be honest. Obviously, it arrives spoiled. In a few days' time, you see what happened. Oh, it was awful. Yes, one got in my mouth. Well, I suppose we're fortunate those things only reached the floor below the attic. Well, I'll take care of the problem of fumigating in the morning. In the meantime, for tonight, I've thought of a makeshift arrangement. The boys have kindly offered to help, and they and the servants are turning the practice hall into a dormitory. If some of you choose to find hotel rooms, I'll have no objections. But it's already late, and in any case, the inconvenience will only be for one night. We'll all sleep together. So, yes, they are all now forced to sleep in the main room, and they've got sheets all around the room, and with the lights off, we then get this bright red behind the sheets, so we get these fun shadows. Uh-huh. This is, a, again, all very visual. That night, when they're sleeping, she's sleeping next to Sarah. We see this shadow walk up behind the two girls, and it's a weird-looking shadow, very kind of zombie-like with the arms out and stuff. Right. It turns weird, and then it lays down, and then we immediately start to hear this really heavy wheezing. wheezing and snoring. And Sarah turns to Susie and is like, do you hear that strange snore? I think that's the... Effectively, the Blanc of this movie, I forget what her name actually is, is is running the school in her absence. So she says to Susie, they've been lying to us. She's here. Yeah. There's a lot of questions that I have about she's this. She's too sick to be seen. So they made up some excuse about how she's away. I just don't understand why it's such a big deal that they lied to them. Like, she makes such a huge deal about it. I heard her sleep well, next because to me before, and they told me she there's no way because she she's not here. The point is, is that Sarah is the conspiracy theorist at this point, and she's going to get Susie wrapped up in this conspiracy. And so she does kind of need to be like, oh, my God, they lied. Why could they have possibly lied? What is this all about? Because we need to start getting Susie intrigued in this mystery as well. Okay. Yes. The next day, we have the strange scene with the blind pianist. Yeah. Again, I don't quite know why they did this. I guess they just decided they didn't like him anymore. The little boy and the maid are walking by his dog. And, of course, the dog can tell they're evil, so he attacks, right? Yeah. And they, they tell him that you've got to put your dog down because your dog attacked our, our my nephew. Yes. Again, I don't know why. Like, I don't... There doesn't seem to be... He Did he do something that pissed them off? Yeah. What did he do? I don't know. But so, she, like, throws his cane and stuff, and it's really fucked up when you consider the fact that it's a disabled person. Yes. He has to look around for it. She laughs at him. And he says, I'm going, I'm not deaf, blind, not deaf. Uh -huh. And then that night, Susie gets her food again, and she's upset again that she's still eating this way. She's sick of it. She drinks all the wine, though. And that night, her friend Sarah is like, wake up, wake up. I can hear them. All of the teachers are going somewhere. Yeah. They do this every night at like 9.30. There's steps, but then... But Susie cannot wake them. up. Mm -hmm. She's very obviously drugged. 
And they do that on purpose, I guess. Again, not sure why. To keep her pliant. I guess. But why not do that to all the girls? <laughs> Especially girls like Sarah. Well, that's why I think the remake does a lot better job of explaining things. This movie isn't interested in explaining things. That's not the point of the movie. It, but yeah, so Sarah's like, if we count how many steps they do, maybe we can figure out where they're going. Maybe, maybe we can find out where they really go. Of course. Yes. Maybe now to count the steps as they go. But Susie just can't wake up. Cut to the blind guy again, enjoying a bar and dancing. <laughs> And he goes to leave, and he's all by himself, and all of a sudden his dog starts barking at something, and he's like, who's there? Who's there? But no one will answer, and we start to hear the voices and yep. the wind sounds Which again. now associated with this weird stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, the dog attacks him, and it's the saddest yeah, thing. It is really. It's really fucking shitty that they turned his own dog against him. We're animal lovers here, people. Mm-hmm. And the dog pretty much eats him. That's when the girls start to get really scared. Like, one girl's like, oh, but it was a wolfhound, and they're crazy. And then one person's like, maybe there's a hex on the school. And then somebody jokingly says, yeah, we should call the exorcist, which is funny. <laughs> uh -huh. because but so Susie is starting to really think something is wrong here. Yeah. But for whatever reason, she still trusts... The second in command, who I've been calling the headmistress this whole time. Oh, she is Madame Blanc. Yeah. So she goes to Madame Blanc and she wants to talk to her, but Madame Blanc notices that she won't talk to her, so she sends Miss Tanner out. Yeah. And Miss Tanner is not happy about getting kicked out. But so she tells her, when that girl was leaving, I could hear her say, secret, irises. This is where the irises are on the wall. That makes more sense. Yeah. The headmistress basically blows her off and acts like it's nothing. She ends up talking to Sarah about this, because remember that earlier when she talked about it, she talked about it with Olga, and Olga had no idea. Right. And she talks to the headmistress, headmistress blows her off, so she goes to Sarah now, uh -huh. and Sarah says, I was her friend. She was talking to me when and, you came up. And I was the one who told you to go away. Yes. But again, that night, Susie drinks the wine, gets drugged again. And Sarah comes into her room again to try and get her to go out and see where they're going. And the last thing Susie hears before she passes out is, do you know anything about witches? Susie, do you know anything about witches? Mm -hmm. Then Susie's passed out. So Sarah says, fuck it, I'm going to go by myself. We get some bright green light. We hear a lot of giggling. Mm -hmm. She's very much afraid of what she's going to see. Afraid of the light. She's seeing a moving light. It's this red light that's kind of moving different windows and stuff. So she feels like she's being watched and followed. And they will do that again in the remake. She keeps seeing it in different places. And she gets locked into a room. Well, she gets into a room and she locks it. And the person who's following her puts a knife through the thing and starts going up like this. Yeah, like it's trying to lift the latch to unlock it. Couldn't you just put something against the door? Oh, why doesn't she put that on the other side of the door? Wouldn't that be easier? 
I feel like that would be easier. Well, I mean, the latch does. the latch is the lock. Like, that's literally what it's for. Right. But you could have just put a thing so that they couldn't put something through the creek, the crack. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, what are you going to find? If I could go back and study that room, <laughs> I could find something for her to do other than what she does. So... Instead of finding a way to stop that knife from going through the crack, right? she decides, I'm going to escape through that window that I have no idea where it leads to. And I'm going to do it really unsafely and put these things together that could very easily topple over and I could fall and break kind my of neck. shift and fall a little bit. And she does, and oh, surprise, she's successful getting through the window, but uh-huh. it so doesn't matter. As soon as, so as soon as you can see her hands going through, you can see there's torture devices on the wall, and you're just like, that is so not where you want to be right now. Yeah. And then she ends up falling, and it's so much worse than you thought it was, because the room is filled with barbed wire. Yeah, there's just, like, no floor, and it's a pit full of barbed wire. Why? It doesn't matter. This is a nightmare. Not literally a nightmare. It's... Yeah, no, this was all by design. Yeah. They wanted her to do that. Right, but I mean, like, the for the audience, this is supposed to feel nightmarish. Yes. Next day, everybody's like, where the fuck is Sarah? And the lady's like, oh, she left last night like a thief. So, because she's so worried about her friend, she ends up doing some research and finds out that's, that Sarah was seeing a psychiatrist. So, she goes and talks to him, and he explains... Sarah did all of her own research and found out that supposedly a witch started the school, which is when Susie is like, oh, somebody said something about witches to me. Yeah. But he he explains that, like, it was half a dance school and half an occult school. Yes. Or as he says, the occult. Occult. At first, a sort of school of dance and occult sciences. But that didn't last long, because in 1905... After being hounded and cursed at for ten years, Madame Marcus died in a fire. The implication is they never stopped studying the occult, and it's still a coven there for witches. And he directs her to another doctor, a professor, Professor Milius, who, by the way, that's a name they use in the remake for one of the teachers. Madame Milius, I think, is what they ended up calling her. But this professor, he's a professor of the occult. I'm convinced that the current spread of belief in magic and the occult is part of mental illness. Bad luck isn't brought by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. Professor Milius can answer your question better than I can. He wrote a book called Paranoia or Magic, and believe me, it's the final word in the subject. And so she talks to another guy who explains more stuff specifically about the occult. And he says... A coven of witches effectively is powered by its head witch. Everyone draws their power from this mother witch. And so that's kind of the information that she gets from these two gentlemen, and then she goes back to the school. Well, she also learns that she died in a fire. This head witch. Yeah. Supposedly died in a fire, and that her best student took over. But he explains that being Madame Blanc. But he explains that's all just mental illness. Nobody was actually doing any occult stuff back yeah, then. Uh-huh. It was just crazy talk. He explains that you know witches are negative and destructive, and that's all these people were. 
they believed that they could change events and people's lives, but they could only do it for harm. There was nothing they could do that would be good. They want great wealth through the suffering of others. They would even kill people to gain this wealth. When is she on the phone with somebody? Hello? Frank? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? I don't. Hello? Hello, Frank? Hello, can you hear me? Frank? Hello? 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 Hello, Frank, can you hear me? There's a part where she's on the phone and she keeps saying hello and it totally is just like in Black Christmas. Yeah. Hello? Bob? Frank? Hello? Who? Pardon? Can you hear me? Hello? 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 Pardon? Who? But she goes back and there's nobody at the school. They're all gone. Right. They're all at some party thing and she's mad because she wasn't invited so they give her the wine that she's supposed to drink but she doesn't drink it yeah because she splashes it out and it looks like totally rich as red paint yeah but she's figured out effectively that that's why she's been feeling weird for so long is because they've been drugging her with the wine a very fake ass looking bat attacks her for yep. some reason. And it goes on and on in this it does scene. For a while. And it, like you could totally see this fake ass bat. The kind of bat, you know, where like st- strings are attached to the wings and the body is heavily weighted and you just kind of bounce it up and down to make yeah. it look like it's flapping its wings. It's awful. And like I get, you know, it's not exactly a high budget movie. It's supposed to be weird and fantastical, but, like, then why are we looking at this for so long? Yeah, why even include it? Let it be mysterious. (laughs) And it doesn't even, like, have real any real effect on anything. She just puts a towel on and kills it. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway. But she hears footsteps again. She follows them as as she's counting the footsteps, and she gets to a place where it's like they, they can't have gone anywhere. The footsteps continued on, but there's nowhere for them to have gone. And that's when she realizes there's this ornate decoration on the wall of irises. So she turns the blue iris and it opens up a new door. And this goes into a hallway. She's secretly there and she can hear people talking. She hears Madame Blanc who says... We must get rid of that bitch of an American girl. Vanish. She must vanish. Make her disappear. Understand? Vanish. She must vanish. She must die. 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 Helena, give me power. Sickness. Sickness. Away with her. Away with trouble. Death. 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 And Susie does start to not feel so good when this happens. Yes. But she keeps going. They don't see her. She finds her friend, who's all sliced up and nasty. Yeah, The guy, the Igor-looking dude who stole the lighter, sees her. He comes after her, but she ends up knocking him out with this fantastic peacock lamp that I totally want. Yes. Okay, so it's a bird with crystal plumage. She knocks it over and it crashes to the ground and all of the individual plumes are like this sort of crystal peacock design with like a metal point. Oh. It's just kind of a slight nod to Argento's first film. Hmm. 
bird with the crystal plumage. So she's run away. She finds this statue, but it's in this weird, ornate, elaborate room. And then she hears that raspy breathing again. Yes, the directress is there. Helena Marcos. Marcos wakes up and talks to her and says, who is it? Who is it? Who's there? <laughs> I've been expecting you, the American girl. Which, by the way, we haven't talked about, but in a lot of Argento's movies, he has somebody from another place come to a foreign country. Usually it's an American come to a foreign country like Italy or in this case, Germany, and then be introduced to all this weird shit happening. Like in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, it's an American writer who's come to Italy. True. But anyway, the, the American, American girl. girl. I knew you'd come. You want to kill me? You want to kill Elena Marcus? <laughs> Susie opens up the curtain around the bed, and there's nobody there. There's just an imprint a la Psycho mm-hmm. in the bed, and there's laughing. You, you wanted want to, to kill, kill me. me. <laughs> you wanted to kill me. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Huh? No. Death is coming for you. <laughs> you wanted to kill Elena Marcus. <laughs> Held is behind that door. It's because she's trying to exit. There's a door that she finds. Yes. You're going to meet death now. Death now. <laughs> the living dead. <laughs> the living dead. Yes. This great monologue that she gives. It's a great monologue. The door opens and in comes Sarah. She's been reanimated, hence the living dead. Her eyes are closed, but eyes have been painted on them. Yes. Which is this great visual effect. It's very creepy. And she has a a knife or scissors or something like that in her hand and she's coming at her. And so panicking, Susie backs away back to where... Marcos's bed is again. She reminds me a lot of a deadite in this moment. She's got a big maniacal smile yeah, uh-huh. on her face. Well, yeah, she looks like, uh, what's her face? With the doll version, you mm-hmm. know? With mm-hmm. the big makeup on, yeah. But anyway, Susie falls back towards Marcos's bed, and she turns, and then lightning crashes. And with the lightning, she can see an outline of the invisible Helena Marcos, who's now sitting up in bed. And she uses that as an opportunity to take that peacock quill and stab her right in the neck. Yes. Uh, Which kills her. And as we learned, you kill the mother and the whole coven sort of dies. Sarah disappears. Susie runs away as the whole entire school is falling apart. Fires are starting. And as she runs away from the burning academy... The camera stays on the Academy burning and the credits start. Yeah, and she's got this smile on her face Uh and, oh, the water is washing me clean from that evil place. But Argento has kind of this habit of like, well, my story's done. End of movie. Yes. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't do like a denouement. Like plot over, done, credits. And then at the end of the credits, we get... You have been watching Suspiria, <laughs> which is so good. <laughs> the scene in Marcos's bedroom at the end where all the shit's going crazy and Marcos is threatening Susie 
Daria Nicolodi, who co-wrote the movie with Dario Argento, who is the source of the original story because her grandmother went to the school, also related a dream she once had, because that's always interesting, (laughs) where there was an invisible witch, Marcos, right? And a panther, just a panther in the room with her and this invisible witch that exploded, That's why there is a porcelain panther statue in this room, which explodes in this room with an invisible witch. Ah. So that comes from Nicolodi's dream that she related to Argento. Interesting. Yeah. I have tons and tons of notes about this, but I'm not going to go back through it for last minute stuff because, like, there was a lot – most of it tried to describe the beautiful sights, but it's just pointless, too. You should just, you just see, see it. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think this movie is very good. One last thing I wanted to say is Marcos is not credited. The actress who plays Marcos is not credited, <laughs> okay. who we only see after she's been stabbed. Mm-hmm. Apparently, so says Jessica Harper, she's just some 90-year-old sex worker, like ex-sex worker, who Argento just found on the streets in Rome and was like, you're the look that I want for Marcos. Jesus. Come be in one scene where somebody stabs you in the neck and you're covered in gross makeup. (laughs) Who knows if that's true? That may be apocryphal. So, Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think 1977's Suspiria has on Rotten Tomatoes? 88? 93. Okay. The blood pours freely in Argento's classic Suspiria, a giallo horror as grandiose and glossy as it is gory. Metacritic of 79. No cinema score. Do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? It's pretty much exactly what I was going to give it. I was going to give it a 91. Yeah, I I was thinking low 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's absolutely not a perfect movie. But no, it's, it's got a lot of problems. It's got yeah. a lot of like, what? But it's just, it's so. <laughs> Why is there a bat right now? <laughs> it's so entertaining and evocative. Yes. And it's not a lot of, okay, this is a big difference from the remake. There's not a lot to explore in what does it all mean? Because that's not what this movie is about. It's not about the plot at all, whatsoever. It's about the experience. And yes. he wants to take you through a dream. Yes. A nightmare. And he does, and he does effectively. Yes. So I would agree. I think 91 is a good score for this movie. Yeah. It is. It feels very much like a a waking nightmare, Would what it would be like. And I think he was successful in that. And But yeah, there's just, there's a lot of stuff where you're just like, why? Why did the blind men have to get attacked? Uh, you know? It's just, <laughs> just so sad. We needed another death at this point in the movie, I guess. Yeah. So that is 1977's Suspiria, an all-around great movie. Before we move on to the next movie, horror trivia. This 2014 movie involves a widowed mother who becomes worried when her son asks her to read a scary pop-up children's storybook, which is not actually what the movie's about, but what is it? Babadook. Yes. Her s- she becomes worried when her son asks her to read it? No, she doesn't at all. Yeah, her. anyway. <laughs> Kelsey. Yeah. Mater Superiorum. Yes. Is the mother of size. Yes. What are the other two mothers, mothers of? Tears and darkness. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was listening. I was paying attention. Mater Lacrimarum, Our Lady of Tears. Hence the movie Lady of Tears or Mother of Tears. And Mater Tenebrarum. Not, not Tenebrae. Not Tenebrae. It's actually Inferno, Our Lady of Darkness. All right, then that means we're moving on to the next movie in this double feature. The Late Night Double Feature Picture Show. 2018's Suspiria, based on characters by Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi. Kind of just characters, not really the plot. Uh, written by David Kajanik. No, ouch, oh, God, K-A-J-G-A-N-I-C-H, and directed by Luca Guadagnino, Guadagnino, G-U-A-D-A-G-N-I-N-O, Guadagnino, starring Chloe Grace Moretz, Tilda Swinton, and Dakota Johnson. Kelsey, what is this remake about? It's funny that you say it's not the same plot, because it's the same plot, just a lot of extra shit happens in it. An American girl comes to one of the best dancing schools in the world in the 70s and discovers a scary secret. <laughs> yes, but but that's not what the movie's trying to say at all. Like, it, it starts there and it goes somewhere else. I'm just going to call him Luca because his last name's hard to pronounce and I'm very sorry. <laughs> We're Americans. Yeah. <laughs> The movie was going to be made as far back as 2008, and Luca was going to produce it. David Gordon Green was going to direct, but he ended up dropping out like six years later. And in 2015, Luca was announced as being the new director, and actresses he's worked with before, Tilda Swinton and Chloe Grace Moretz, were going to be in the movie with Dakota Johnson. When they asked about the nature of remaking... Argento's Suspiria, he said it's not necessarily a remake. It's impossible to remake that film, is what he said. It's more his reinterpretation of something he wanted to make and not trying to remake Argento's movie. And it's very not that. And you need to get your head around that concept if you're going to even hope to like this movie. Yeah. It's the same concept, but told in a very different way. Uh-huh. Originally, Natalie Portman was supposed to be in the David Gordon Green version when he was attached to direct. When he left, so did she. Was that before or after Black, Black Swan? Black Swan is so much better. <laughs> I, I really like Black Swan a lot better than this movie. But we'll watch Black Swan later with a completely different movie that's probably more akin to it. And we're going to bring... A friend on. Yes. She desperately wants to do it. We're going to do it this summer because she's a teacher like me and it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. We're both in the summertime. But see if you can guess what we're combining Black Swan with. I bet you can figure it out. We've said it in past episodes. <laughs> Tilda Swinton was in three roles in this movie. Which is obvious and distracting. Some people say, you couldn't tell. They did such a great job. No, no, you're wrong. Her voice, it just sounds like Tilda Swinton doing an old person voice. She does not sound like a man at all. This has nothing to do with the gender issue. It reminds me of Meryl Streep as the rabbi in Angels in America. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, I don't remember her. She plays a rabbi. Okay. In Angels in America, who they just... They get a middle-aged woman to play an elderly man, and they put them in makeup. And 
the problem is that I don't buy their performances as elderly men, especially with all the prosthetics. Now, the prosthetics on Tilda Swinton in this, as Joseph Klemper, are good, but they don't hide Tilda Swinton as well as I think they think it does. Uh, there are several moments where you can tell it's Tilda Swinton. Well, once you know it's her, it's impossible to not see her. But, but the, no, but even at the beginning, when you can tell it's obviously a woman in old man makeup doing an old man voice, even if you don't know it's Tilda Swinton, there's something wrong here. Seems fine. To me. It really doesn't to me. When Joseph is at, the, I don't understand the decision. I can tell you about that in just a second. Okay. <laughs> When Joseph is at the restaurant with Sarah, there are moments where it's like, oh, that's Tilda Swinton. And when Joseph is in the bed towards the end of the movie and is making those faces, I'm like, oh, that's Tilda Swinton, too. Like, it's just it, – it, it's distracting to me, and they didn't need to do that. So what's the explanation? Personally, I like Tilda Swinton's explanation, which is just effectively, why not? She's like, I had an opportunity to do it, and my philosophy is, fuck it, basically. Why not? And I love that. That's really cool. Good on you, Tilda Swinton. But Luca, his explanation was that since it's a movie that centers on women, it felt right to have this male character also played by a woman. But here's the thing. That has no relation to the actual plot or anything or the story in any way. It doesn't change anything about that. And this character is totally unnecessary to the film. Well, okay. I felt that way. And I think that a lot of his stuff is unnecessary. But Well, it's good. I'm I not saying it's like, not good. I'm saying it's unnecessary. I did like what it led to at the end. Yeah, I, totally. for, I forgot about that ending. So I was glad once I realized what it was building up to. I think it was a little much. I don't think we needed quite as much of it as we got. Right. It's but, like half of the film is following this character. But I did like what it was leading up to. The fact that it's Tilda Swinton didn't bother me, like, at all. But I hate that explanation well especially since he's a male director if it's really so important to you that this movie be brought to us by the voices of women and even into the point where you have a male character must be played by a woman then fucking resign luca and have a woman direct it that makes a lot of sense but also so does this you are correct this movie does center around women and the idea that it's supposed to building be building up strength for women is there, but it's also showing you some really shitty things that women do as well. So at the end, he's supposed to be an example of what a good man is. Mm -hmm. And you kind of take that away when it's played by a woman. Sure. So I hate that explanation. I, a I understand bullshit that. explanation. I understand that. One last little thing about the about the making of has nothing to do with the plot, but Chloe Grace Moretz plays Pat Hingle in this movie. She's been in a lot of horror movies. Patrizia. Including The Eye, The Amityville Horror, Let Me In, Dark Shadows, and Carrie, all of which are horror remakes. It's like she has this thing where she does horror remakes. She shouldn't even bed in this movie. You can barely even tell it's her. And it's like one scene. <laughs> Well, at the beginning, but then she appears throughout in all this extra makeup. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, 
The movie is free on Amazon Prime because it was actually produced by Amazon. Uh, you can rent it for 3 to $6 on most other platforms and buy it for 10 to 15 on those platforms. But again, if you have Prime, you can access it for free. As opposed to the original, which is basically no story, should people watch the remake, which is virtually all story? I liked it, but I can see why a lot of people would not like it. But that being said, I think it was a critical darling. No, it was... It split, not audiences, but critics. People are like, this is a superb film. And then there are people that are like, what was this fucking garbage? I was in the latter group after seeing it the first time. I was like, what the fuck was that? I I'm still have those feelings. I still have those feelings. But again, just like the Pet Cemetery remake, I've softened on it over time. I liked this way better than the first time right, I saw it. Right, Exactly. And I keep writing down things that I really like in my notes. I'm like, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that too. Oh, I like that. But then I also keep writing down things that really bug me. So it's like, ah, come on, movie. <laughs> I can see why a lot of people would hate this movie. It's a beautiful movie, I gotta say. That's what I said when we talked about our non-spoiler thoughts. And you were like, no, it isn't. <laughs> no, what I mean by that is in, in color. Like the original is really... It's a beautiful Technicolor masterpiece, right? This takes that. They decided we're going to remake it, and it's going to be browns and and grays, and it's going to be drab, and everything's going to be overcast. Yes, that's where the beauty is in this. It's not a beautiful movie as far as color is concerned. It's it's beautiful in the way it's filmed. It's beautiful in the motion. We talked about it the first time. Okay. Well, I agree with you there. So people should watch the movie? I think so, but I think a lot of people are going to hate it. Yeah, I think if you held off because you couldn't believe they remade the original, just let go of the fact that it's a remake of the original and give it a chance. If it say. weren't as long, it would be so much better. It's almost twice as long as the original. Yeah, it there, there there's a lot of extra added shit here that you're like, I didn't need that. The original's an hour and a half. This one's over two and a half hours long. Yeah. So if you can deal with that, go ahead and watch it. <laughs> but when we get back, we will talk about 2018's Suspiria. At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Oh, she wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. Oh, she can see me. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The dumpling's incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. Dangerous people. Three mothers, three God, three devil. Mother Tenebrarum, Mother Lacrimarum, and Mother Suspiriorum. Darkness, tears. 
and sighs. You're making some kind of deal with them. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all a mess. The one out there. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does the 2018 version of Suspiria begin? We begin with Act 1, which I don't know what it's called. I just wrote Act 1, 1977. Well, okay, so there is a title card at the very beginning. I can't believe we're getting into this right away. (laughs) That says, six acts and an epilogue set in divided Berlin. Which, okay, we'll talk about the politics of this later. The point is, it's divided into acts, and each act has a title and its own title card that has a design. If you look at the Suspiria logo, there is like a comb shape at the bottom. I read one single article that even fucking mentions this comb shape, and it just calls it menacing or something like that. Vaguely menacing. There is not a single article on the entire internet which talks about what it means and why it's there. Because every single act has a more robust version of this comb shape in its title card. A more elaborately designed one. Until, at the point of the climax, there are several of them and they're all askew in different ways in filling up a third of the screen. But nobody can tell me what the fuck it means, because I don't know. If you guys have any clue, please write in and tell us, because no one on the internet does. Well, And they're not even mentioning it. I'm probably going to say this several times as we talk about this. This movie is really quite pretentious, and it feels like... I feel like if you were to talk to the cinematographer or the director or something, they would just go off about how in every shot there's something hidden. In every uh shot we're saying something powerful and impactful about, I don't even know what, politics, women. Right. Motherhood. um, Like, these are all themes, but it's like a vague sense of things that you get. It doesn't seem like it's actually saying fucking anything about these things to me. Yeah. And it's I, constantly undermining its own points, too. This movie, I'm going to talk about the fact that I liked it. Yeah. But there's, this movie feels like, I imagine that a lot of film kids, like film students, went and saw this. And if you were to sit down and talk to them, I think they would just tell you how incredible it is and all that. But it would be super vague and they would not be able to actually tell you why they feel that way. Oh, just like literally everyone writing about this movie on the internet? Uh, Because Mm -hmm. there's just so much happening that it's impossible to kind of focus on one thing. Right. And so... It's like, yeah, if I wanted to, I could go through this movie shot by shot and pick each thing apart. But guess what? I don't want to do that. And I shouldn't have to. I consider myself pretty good at finding meaning in films. So 
when you are like, you're only going to find meaning if you really sit down and take time. Fuck you. <laughs> Film is a medium that I'm supposed to let wash over me. Right. If I have to sit there and look at each shot. No, I'm not gonna. Right. No, and I don't, I, I mean, I I could talk forever about this and I'm, so I'm not going to, but let's say, okay, so it's act one of six acts and an epilogue set in divided Berlin. What is going on? So it's 1977 and they're the same year that the original Suspiria was released. Yes. And they're having a lot of rioting in Berlin. I assume it's because. This is all a real thing. This is before. The fall of the Berlin wall. The wall went down. Yeah. So Berlin is still separated. So the movie doesn't go uh, out of its way to tell you why the fact that they're in divided Berlin is important, but they do cross the border a couple of times and the wall is right there on the outside of the dance academy. Like, so it's there, it's imposing, it's a constant presence throughout the movie, but why? No idea. The only parallel I can find to the actual plot is that the Dance Academy, the Witch Coven itself, is a house divided between Marcos and Blanc. And there's parallels with the politics of the Witch Coven, which I like. I like that we get insight into the politics of the Witch Coven right away. There's no reveal at the end of the movie that it's actually a coven. No, we know from step one that it is, and we get to see the inner workings of how it goes on. I like that. But that seems to be the only, other than setting it in a historical time and giving it a general sense of chaos and uncertainty, I don't know what, like, the RAF and the Lufthansa hijacking and the demanding of the RAF members being let out of jail, what that has to do with fucking anything. I mean, I could sit here and I could try to come up with But it would a be wick. a stretch because the would, movie's not interested in telling you. Yes, it, it would definitely be a stretch. But just my first inclination is simply to say that they wanted to put the movie in the same time period as the original. Yep. And, and this is what was going on at the time. That's what was happening at the time, and they wanted to be true to that setting. Yeah. David Bowie was in Berlin at this time. He lived there. Oh. He moved to Berlin. Berlin was like this sort of artsy place at the time. But it was in political turmoil. Yes. Well, that breeds art. Okay. He released like three albums while he was there. So, we meet Chloe Grace Moritz. Yes. Who plays the character from the original, the one who yelled out secret irises and then ran through the woods. Yeah. (laughs) In this version... She has clearly gone off the deep end because, as she will tell us, the witches have gotten inside of her, basically. Yeah. So she, like, can't stop singing, can't stop dancing. She's got this song pounding in her head. And she basically storms into her doctor's office unannounced. And this is the character that is played by Tilda Swinton, and it bothers Chris to no end. Yes, this is Joseph or Joseph Klemperer, played by Lutz Ebersdorf, is how they credit this person. But 
Ebersdorf is, it's like a rough translation of swine and town or something like that. Yeah. So when she was asked, oh, are you Dr. Klemperer in interviews, she would say, Dr. Klemperer is played by Lutz Ebersdorf. And for Tilda, if you could comment on on the two roles, uh, why you decided to, to do this. What two roles? Dramatic Blonde. I played that Blonde. Yes, and I, I assume that you played uh, Dr. Klemperer. Um, as you will see from the credits and on all the posters, that Dr. Klemperer is played by Lutz Ebersdorf. And she was apparently just waiting for someone, anyone, to ask her, are you Lutz Ebersdorf? And nobody did. Uh, and so she just had to come out and say it. Uh, but like, nobody's nobody's fooled, I don't think. There's something wrong with with Klemperer. I just don't get why anybody cares. Why does it matter? So it was played by her. Who cares? It was a bad decision. I just I don't know. Like, and it's not even it again, again, it's not the gender thing. There is a transgender actress in this movie. I don't care about that. It works well. That's great. That's not my problem. It's that it's really fucking distracting, and it's a main character of the movie, and it's very obviously Tilda Swinton, to me, at least. It ruined this character for me. Anyway. Go ahead. She explains that they have decided they're going to try to keep her alive. He asks who, and she says Marcos. I like this. I like that they explain Marcos is dying and that she needs to transfer her spirit to another one of these young women. And that's like explains why they're doing the things that they're doing. Like it. She explains that they are Hexen. Witches. Yes. Yep. She explains that she feels like she has to save her friend Sarah and Olga. She's worried that if she leaves, they will be the next ones on the chopping block. Yeah. And she explains that there is more to the building than you can actually see. They've got places underground that they're using. Is another theme throughout the movie is going underground? Yes. She explains that at first she wanted it. She enjoyed the things they were giving her. They were giving her perfect balance and other shit. Yeah. But then they took her hair and her urine and her eyes. At the beginning, they gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Talking with our minds. But they took my hair. They took my urine. They, they took my eyes. Now she can see. The hair and urine thing makes sense. Yes. If they're, like, testing her for something or whatever, like, making sure she's healthy or using it as part of a spell. But then it's the figurative taking her eyes. Yeah, she explains that they can see her at all times. But that's not what that means. Right. If you say also, they take your eyes, that usually means you've gone blind in right. some way. <laughs> but also, if that was the case, then they would know where you are and you're terrified of them finding... Well, he does ask her, do you think they can hear and see you now? And she says, yes. Yeah. 
She's very concerned that they are constantly watching and following her, which they are. Yep, and she's totally screwing over her doctor here. Yes. The voices and the wind show here, uh, just like they did in the original film. Yeah. So we're going to get that same thing. And then she says something weird, like, they're going to eat me. (laughs) I mean, we don't know that that's not what they're going to do, because we never actually see this ceremony play out. That is true. We do not get to see what their plan was. That's a good point. But they wouldn't have literally eaten her because Marcos would have needed the vessel. (laughs) But they're eating her who she is and replacing it with Marcos, I think, is the idea. Okay. Then we meet Susie. We find out that Susie basically comes from, like, an Amish family. And I guess the Amish don't believe in medicine, so we see... The mother dying this horrible death. Yeah, and we find we through scenes later we find out that she's exasperated as she's dying, that her her impact on the world is that she gave us Susie and it's her stain on the world or whatever. Her and, sin that she smeared on the world. Yeah. And so obviously mommy does not like Susie. She's also really, really rough with them discipline wise. When she catches out of time, it's totally fine. We're talking about her, her when she was a kid. When her mom catches her masturbating, she burns her hand with an iron. How do you know that's what it was for? I think that was the implication. I just assumed, because later we'll find out that she has been obsessed with Madame Blanc since she was a child. And they don't bother to explain how a kid, how an Amish kid would have heard about her in the fucking first place. She explains that, oh, I would go to the library and watch the documentary about you guys. But how did you learn about well, okay. them to begin with? So, spoiler alert, you should have seen the movie by now. She is Mother Suspiriorum. Yes. And I think she always has been. But the question is, why was Mother Suspiriorum reincarnated in the body of a young girl from the middle of America? It does not explain, but that does explain why she's compelled to go to Berlin and she's always wanted to go to Berlin since she was a little kid because that's where that coven is. I guess. But anyway, they explain that she went to go and see them uh, perform Volk, which is the dance they do that's super famous. And she went and saw them three times and she's asked, were you punished? And she says, yes. So I thought... That's what they were showing us, is that she was being punished for going. Now, there was something I I don't remember because I'm not watching literally the movie right now, but there was something sexual going on. There was some implication of masturbation. And then mom finds her in the closet with her hand between her legs and then burns her hand with an iron. Ah. So obviously they're not Amish because they're using an iron. They're just poor country folk in like the in the 60s. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, we meet her in a train station, and when she's walking through the train station, one of the things that tells you where to go, it says Suspiria, and I was like, is that supposed to be the title card? Okay, folks, this is our third attempt at recording this fucking episode. This last attempt, we were talking for like 45 minutes to an hour, and then I realized that Audacity had frozen, 
And so we only got like 12 minutes of that actual conversation. And that really, really sucks. This is lost discussion that you will never get. And it was so good, in my opinion. This is not just me talking out of my ass. So we're not going to cover, we're just going to skip right ahead? No, we're going to re-talk about all of this. But all the realizations that Kelsey and I had, the things that were like, oh, you think this? Oh, I think this. I don't know how we're going to recreate that because it was so genuine and real and (laughs) I loved it and you will never hear it. And it's so frustrating. So last thing we talked about is we meet Susie at the train station and it says Suspiria on one of the signs. So. Oh, God, where were like. What have we talked about and what haven't we talked about? Okay. So she goes to the uh, audition. <laughs> this is so funny because we're just going back. I'm going to repeat the same shit, but it's fine. It's fine. So she goes to her audition, and when she's there, she notices that Madame Blanc isn't there. She's upset by this. They explain, you have no references. You have no formal training. Like, you're lucky that you're even here. And they try to fuck with her by saying, you don't get the music. So you have to keep time in your head. But that's all okay, because I don't think we've said this now. Who knows? But she is Mother Suspiriorum. We had such a long conversation about this, but uh, (laughs) she is that mother inside, although she is not aware of it on a- Yes. On a- She becomes aware of it. Cognizant level. Yes. She becomes- Cognitive level. She becomes aware of it later. Not yet. And she ends up She has always been Mother Suspiriorum. That's why she's felt this pull towards Berlin her entire life. There's flashbacks. We see it happen. Yada, yada, yada. So she ends up being putting on an incredible audition so well that Tilda Swinton, who is in another room with the other girls, is stopped in her tracks because she can feel the magic in the house. So this is something that I want to make sure we talk about. I absolutely love the idea. The first thing I wrote down that I loved is the idea is that Marcos will live on in the body of a student that has this great talent this great connection with the witchcraft of movement. I love that they have an explanation for that, of what's going on with Marcos, the fact that she's sick, but she will be reborn. Love all of that. That leads into the idea that witchcraft is performed through motion. Also, really great explanation as to why it's both a coven and a dance studio. It makes so much sense, and I love that they did that. So it's so profound that Tilda Swinton (laughs) feels the need to go into the audition. And when she does, that makes Susie stop what she's doing. Yeah, so she's spinning around, and the camera's kind of spinning too, and it catches these shots of Blanc in the corner, having just entered the room, and Susie realizes it, and so along with us... The camera, Susie herself, stops and hones in on Blanc. And this is communicated visually with a manual camera zoom into Blanc's face, who looks stunned by what she's seeing. And that sort of 70s style 
manual zoom is fantastic, and I absolutely love it, and the movie, as it progresses on, loses that sense of style, and that's very frustrating to me. I don't know if we included the conversation about modern dance, interpretive dance. This is what I'm saying. It's really hard to get the motivation back up to talk about some of this stuff. Basically, what our conversation, if you were to break it down to what its core was, is... Chris really doesn't like interpretive dance. I personally don't get it. I think it's kind of silly. But in this movie, I think that they pulled enough things from other types of dance, like ballet and jazz. And I feel like there was enough there intermixed with the interpretive dance. Also, with the fact that we know that every movement is supposed to be magical, uh, I think it's very pretty to watch even though ordinarily I would not enjoy interpretive dance. Yes. So my problem with interpretive dance is not that it's stupid. I don't think it's stupid. I think it means something to the person performing it or choreographing it. And I think it can communicate something. What's the term? Abstract to an audience. Yes. But the idea that anyone can be an expert on it is fucking bullshit because it's entirely abstract and subjective and there is no objectivity to it whatsoever. So the idea that anyone thinks they know what's going on and we talk about there's this scene where Susie is trying to tell Blanc that she knows better how the choreography communicates, how she wants to be close to the ground and 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 Blanc is trying to get her up off the ground. And well, at this point in the story, you're, there is no fucking story. It's so abstract. There aren't any plot beats in this performance unless you know something that's not being communicated by the dance. And that's, I think, really, really fucking important. But... The thing about her being pulled to the ground. So we we were having this whole conversation. Chris was talking about the fact that it bothered him that she felt that she understood the story that Tilda Swinton is trying to tell so well that she was arguing, I should be down on the floor. And Tilda Swinton is arguing, no, I need you up in the air. But I think... Anything that's in that conversation about dance is absolute bullshit. What they're actually having a conversation Uh about is, and this is where it gets muddy because the movie, I think- Contradicts itself? Contradicts itself. Yes, it does. Because I got the impression that she wants to be down on the floor because there is a witch under the floor that is pulling her down. So it's it's connecting to her and she's feeling that magical connection and that's why she wants to be down on the floor. Whereas Tilda Swinton believes that it is in fact Mother Marcos that is pulling her down and she wants her to cut ties with Mother Marcos, uh-huh. wants her to lift up off the floor, get away from Mother Marcos. Be you don't own. need her. Yeah, uh-huh. You can be better than that. But what we will, in fact, later find out is that it is not Mother Marcos that is pulling her down. It is actually uh, the spirit of Suspiriorum pulling her down. Then they want to have that connection. But the reason that it's confusing is because what the audience sees is a person under the floor with their hand reaching up towards Susie. And that hand later will be clearly identified as the hand of the spirit of Suspiriorum. Or the death demon, some people call it, whatever it is that comes in in the climax. But 
very specifically, Tilda will yell at one of the other teachers, I think it's Tanner, because she says, I can't believe you brought her in without consulting me. It is Tanner, yeah. And Tanner's like, well, that's what she wanted. And you know what? We didn't vote for you. We voted for her. So it's whatever she wants goes. So they're having this whole argument. But in fact, that's not what Susie was being pulled by. Right. Because you can see, I noticed this the first time I saw it. It's a very specific hand. It's thin it's dark and green and black and long and fingers. long fingernails. And then I was looking for that on Marcos when we meet Marcos later on in the movie, and those are not her hands. And then we see this being walk in later, and that being has the those hands. And so it's like, oh, okay. But the movie goes out of its way to confuse the audience by immediately after we see this hand come up. Blanc says, and Tanner admits it, that they're keeping Marcos in the floor. So is it, is it, yeah, like, is it, does the movie know what it did? I don't know. I think the movie does. I think it was purely to confuse the audience. Yeah. To keep it a secret. And there'd be a surprise at the end that, yeah. I think that's purely what So then where is Marcos during all of this? Somewhere else on the floor. I guess. But Tanner forgot where she was. Right? It, Hope Tanner can remember to get her out. <laughs> introduces this new element that's like, what? At uh, anyway. This is when we have this weird scene. And it's weird because of the whole conversation that Chris and I had about it. <laughs> we get an overlay. So we what we see are the teachers in the teacher's lounge. What we're hearing is the voting sequence where they ended up choosing Marcos over Blanc. Yeah, and I love the idea that we are introduced to the politics of the coven. It's fantastic. It's probably the most direct connection to the fact that we're in a divided Berlin, that there is a division amongst this coven as to who should lead them, whether it's Marcos who's been there forever and who has consolidated power, but who's almost absent at this point because she's aging so much. And she needs to win this vote to lead the coven in order to effectively earn the right to take a new body. It's almost like cats. (laughs) The heavy side layer. Yes. Or should they be more progressive under the leadership of Blanc? And they end up Voting for Marcos. Long live Marcos. Long live Marcos. Well, there Tradition. you go, honey. You just made that exact parallel. Right, but that... You realize that. No, 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 I know. But this is the only thing. The movie puts a lot of effort into the fact that they're in Divided Berlin is important somehow. And it's really not. progress Because, no, but it doesn't... The movie doesn't do this. What I mean to say is... The movie doesn't do a good job of telling you what side of the wall that we're on at any given point, although we do cross it a few times. It puts the wall right outside in front of the dance academy. So it's obviously, it's looming throughout the entire movie. But the only real connection that it has is it's kind of a parallel to the politics of the coven, which is interesting. I love that we get the politics of the coven. I love that it's right out there in the open. They're not trying to hide anything from you. We know they're witches right from the jump. But this underlying political movement in Germany, the RAF, the 
hijacking of the Lufthansa flight, the release of the political prisoners. Like it's heavy throughout the entire movie. And this really seems to be like sort of the only connection, like explicit connection, other than just a sense of feeling of political unrest. Well, again, I think ultimately they did it because they wanted to be true to the time and they wanted to do the time that right, the because original it, was made in. Exactly. The original was made in 77. This is set in 77. Mm-hmm. During this scene where they're all voting and Marcos ends up winning, there's this character. She's another teacher that works there. And we will get several shots of her looking disgruntled, upset, worried, concerned, whatever you want to call this it. This is Miss Griffith. Depressed, something. Later, the implication will become that she's uncomfortable with what the other teachers do to people that they don't like. She will eventually kill herself. How drunk with power the coven right. has become. And how inconsiderate they are but of the people in the world around them. we didn't need her to show that to us. Well, I don't think it shows that to us. I think it shows it to them. Because she kills herself eventually. She stabs herself in the neck. She doesn't speak a word in the entire movie. Yeah. Then she stabs herself in the neck killing herself, and that shocks the entire coven. They are surprised by this, and they are devastated by this, and it, and it kind of shocks them out of their complacency. But just for that scene, it doesn't have any impact on the rest of the fucking movie. Yeah. There's a lot of little threads in this film that could have very easily been cut off. Yeah, or have been strung along through the rest of the movie and aren't. They're just kind of left dangling there. Another one of those threads is the doctor. We get a long scene here about the doctor just being super lonely and depressed, and we you could have told us that in one line. We do not need at least five minutes of this man being sad and depressed for no good reason. Like, there's just... I didn't need all that. And I do want... I think, I think that he has a good point at the end of the film... But that didn't require all this. Yes. And so, when you're already dealing with a movie that's over two and a half hours long, you need to be looking for shit you can cut out. Yeah. It. The way I explained it is that by the end of the movie, we realize that Dr. Josef Klemperer, played by Tilda Swinton, credited as Lutz Ebersdorf, which is a, a pun on Swinton, by the way. It's like Swine Town or something like that it translates to. And she didn't tell anybody explicitly that she was playing this character. She would go into interviews and people would ask her if she was the character. And she would say the character is played by Lutz Ebersdorf. And she was just waiting for somebody to ask her, are you Lutz Ebersdorf? But nobody did. They just kind of accepted that as like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to play this game. But like nobody explicitly asked her that until she finally just had to come out and admit it because nobody was taking the conversation there. But anyway. This character, by the end of the movie, kind of embodies, from a feminist perspective, the ideal male, where he is supportive, he feels guilty about the things he hasn't done to protect and uplift the women around him, so he takes action to protect those that he can, and to use his status as a man in the society to protect them, and to take action on their behalf when no one else will, and... Ultimately, those witches that survive are forced to apologize to him, including Suspiriorum, who gives him a gift in exchange and 
protects him from their wrath, which they are going to exact in the future, which we don't see in this movie. And so he is kind of the ideal male. Now, in this movie that is so feminist that the male character needs to be played by a woman. Defeating its purpose. Kind of. According to the director, who couldn't be bothered to let a woman direct it, because he, was, he wasn't originally going to direct, he was just going to produce. And then when the male director fell off, fell off, he took over. Like, you couldn't find a female director to direct this if it's so important that even the primary male character needs to be played by a woman, the director can't be a woman. Anyway, why is half your movie about this man then? Why is so much time of this movie devoted to this man? It seems wholly unnecessary. And it really takes away from the vibe and the feeling of what's going on in the coven, too, of this just this old man shuffling around, <laughs> talking softly. <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile, back at the Academy, they attempt to get Olga to dance the part of Chloe Grace Moritz's part. Yeah. And she is being told by... Tilda Swinton to do it this way, do it that way. And very angrily, she says, you don't even respect your own lines, which is when Tilda Swinton realizes that she's just upset because her friend is gone. And she's like, you know what? She left in the middle of the night. She was always very political. You know that. She wanted to live her beliefs. What's wrong with that? She wanted to live her beliefs. Who doesn't admire that? And there's so much to change in the world. If she wants to live in a cellar filling bottles with petrol, that's her choice. And Olga just flips out and says, I'm getting out of this box of rabies. <laughs> Can we take Olga to her room, please, Tanner? No, Miss Tanner! Cup! She's had enough. And is going to pack your things and get the fuck out from this box of rabies! And then she calls them witches, to which Tilda has a horrified look on her face, like, oh, fuck, she figured it out. Okay, so this is another conversation that we had around here. But Tanner laughs. Yeah, but who knows that they're witches and who doesn't? Because there are implications that some know and some do not. Like, for instance... Well, they try to keep it a secret. Like, they go out and they pretend like they're all just drinking and being stupid. But in fact, they're having serious conversations through telepathy. <laughs> right. You're right. And there, so there is, a, there is a, a stratification of the teachers and the students. But there's a moment when it's very obvious that one of the students who is really good at jumping gives part of that power to Susie. And is very aware of the fact that that is what's going to happen. I don't think she fully understands what's happening. So first she just needs to demonstrate, right? She does. And then she seems reluctant to help because helping means that, yes, Susie will have this increased ability to, to leap, but it's going to hurt her in some way. So, so there is kind of this implication that some of them know kind of maybe a little bit and some... Don't know, but which ones do and which ones don't. Sarah obviously doesn't. But, like, then they're all participating in the ceremony at the end, which is when we came up with, with the concept that they're probably in a trance of some sort and don't know how they're contributing. Yes. At, but, again, the movie is very unclear about this. Yes. And, listen, we've received feedback in the past that it's like, oh, we don't know what we're talking about. We, we talk about not understanding things and... 
the point that we're making when we say stuff like that is that the movie fucked up. We are not idiots. We we can interpret things, but the movie does a piss poor fucking job of communicating that. And that's our point when we say, what's going on? I don't know. That's what we're talking about. But anyway, so they're like, well, Sarah, do you want to do the part? And Sarah's like, I'm not ready for it. And so Susie says, I'll do it. And they're like, honey, we practice this for like close to a year, like 10 months before we even go live. And she's like, it doesn't matter. I've seen this a billion times at the library. I can do it. And they say, okay, we'll let you try, but you're gonna have to do it all by yourself because we cannot risk you accidentally kicking or hitting somebody because you make a mistake. And before she does this, Tilda Swinton touches both her feet and her hands, and they glow for a short period of time. So the idea is that she's given her some sort of magic. Meanwhile, Olga has left, but becomes disoriented, becomes lost. Something happens to her, and- She starts hearing voices. Yes, and she's kind of getting called- some people do stop her and kind of laugh at her. Yeah, the teachers. Well, because they're having fun and they're like, hey, what's up? And then she's not responding and they giggle and then they run off. And and then she ends up going into the mirrored room because she thinks she hears people saying her name uh-huh. in there. And it's a secret room with no doors. Well, that's the room that What's-Her-Face did the audition in. It's not really a secret See, this room. is my point. Is it really a secret room? They act like it's some secret fucking room. But she did the audition there. (laughs) Yes. So Susie does the dance. And now she has this power. So when she's dancing, there's a lot of moving of the arms and moving of the hands and stuff. And through that movement, she is basically conducting a spell where she's throwing Olga around the room in the mirrored room. And she she gets all kinds of uh, fucked up. So... But my my biggest problem with this, because Chris is about to go off on a diatribe about how much he hates this scene, and I wanted to get this in before he could say all that. Okay. I think that that Susie, Dakota Johnson, does a great job here. I think it's really pretty. I think it's mm-hmm. a really beautiful dance. She has violent movements that translate directly to the violent reaction of Olga in another room. My problem with this scene is that later in the film, the women will say something to the effect of, we were far too brazen with how we treated these girls. Like, we shouldn't have thrown Olga around as much as we did. And the implication is that Tilda is not involved in that. Tilda will kind of become, like, this perfect being in Susie's eyes. Well, again, she's supposed to represent the moving forward, the modernity of the coven, as opposed to the tradition that Marcos represents. But it is Tilda who gives her yes. the power to hurt Olga. Yeah, so it's very confused. Is it saying that, oh, it's all bad? Yeah, I don't I know. Don't, I don't know. But, so, what I was going to say. This was one of my favorite scenes the first time I saw the movie. And in a movie that I really didn't like the first time I saw it. So these two things have kind of reversed. I like it more now, but I like the scene less. So Olga is played by Elena Fokina, who is an actual contortionist and a ballet dancer. 
And so aside from like the makeup and CGI used to like show her skin bulging and her face distorting, her body moving and getting all pretzeled up is real. That's all real stuff. And they're expecting you to be shocked by it. And it is shocking. But the second time you see it and having the knowledge of the fact that this is just a contortionist, like she has her one arm behind her body pointed off in the wrong direction for like half of the scene. And that's literally the only thing that happens to her for half of the scene. And then she gets like thrown against the wall a couple of times. And so it's almost like the movie, this is the way I described it. I don't know if it's a good description or not, but... It's like the movie's like going, this is shocking, it's violent, it's grotesque, and we need you to like marinate in it. But having seen it, so it's like a comedian telling a joke with a big punchline and taking an applause break, right? The problem is having seen it and knowing that she's a contortionist, the fact that she's contorted is not as impressive anymore. And now I'm just sitting watching the same thing and the scene goes on for fucking ever. It's almost torturous to me in that way in the wrong way. And it's like a comedian pausing for applause and it doesn't come, but they're still taking that applause break. Like it, it's way too long. They could have communicated everything that happened here in a few cuts and they take minutes. I thought it was pretty to watch her dance, but I agree it went on too long. But I mean, that's the pro that's one of the biggest problems of this movie is that they don't know when to fucking edit. Yeah. Ultimately, the point is, is that they're tortured, but they don't die. Yes. All these women that bad things happen to them, none of them are actually dying. They are keeping them alive. Which is also confusing because later on they're used as part of the ceremony as if they're integral parts of the ceremony. But they were going to perform the ceremony with Pat. So if Pat's an integral part of the ceremony later on, who's going to play that part when Pat was going to be? the body. And when they pick up Sarah through the events of the plot, just because she happens to discover what's going on, who is going to play that part during the ceremony? These are questions. Yeah. It's because none of the things that the ceremony is doing actually has to happen. It's just a contrivance. Yeah. The the final ceremony does not make any sense when you compare it to the rest of the film. Yeah. Anyway, there's a funny line here where... So Susie kind of becomes overwhelmed with the the brutality of it all, I think, and she ends up falling. She gets dizzy. Yeah, she says, I don't usually feel dizzy. And Tilda says, it's okay, everybody collapses sometimes. It's an occupational hazard. And she says, I didn't collapse. And Tilda goes, well, you're on the floor, and that's not where the dance ends. So <laughs> I'm pretty so sure good. that's what collapsing is. It's so good. She is... Incredibly charming in this movie, I gotta say. Blanc? I love Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I think she's fucking awesome. I'm not usually dizzy. An occasional collapse is a vocational hazard, I'm afraid. I I didn't... I didn't collapse. You're on the floor, and that's not where the dance ends. I just wish that she didn't make stupid movie choices. Like... (laughs) Snowpiercer. Hey, like I said before, I don't know if it ended up in one of the recordings that didn't make it, but her philosophy on a lot of acting decisions is fuck it. Hey, is this weird? Give it a shot. And I can appreciate that. But she explains, I was trying not to throw up. So she's very sick by all of this. Yeah, she's obviously negatively affected by the power that she was exerting unknowingly. Yes. 
We get a flashback to back when she was a kid. She was trying to study Germany. They told her you can only study America. They end up crumpling up the paper. Again, it's just telling us that she has always been obsessed with this. And that she had a very repressed childhood. Yes. Meanwhile, the doctor is reading through Chloe Grace Moritz's diary. There's a whole lot of shit in there. A lot of diary stuff just goes on and on and on with this fucking diary. But he skips through it so fast that the only possible way you could possibly read it all is if you went through and paused it for each one and fuck you movie, I'm not going to do it because you haven't made me interested enough in doing that. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like there's some mystery in <laughs> the diary that gets solved somehow. He's like, hey, there's some shit, like everything that is in her diary, she explicitly told him already. Yes. So why are we spending so much time with this fucking diary? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, he there's a up- connect. Oh, there's a connection in the diary between all the characters and she draws lines between them that seem arbitrary and they match the lines that are on the floor when they do the Volk performance. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? It doesn't mean shit. It's just some sort of visual connection that's supposed to seem more profound than it actually is. Well, I'm sure Volk has all kinds of layers of meaning behind it. But again- Well, there's the added part that Volk, as in like the people, which is a German term, which was very heavily used during the era where not Nazis were in power, and now here we are in the 70s, where there are still some Nazis in Germany floating around. Like, yes, there are connections, but why? Again, this movie feels very pretentious. Yeah. But so, he reports Chloe Grace Moritz as missing to the police, and they will come up later. Susie ends up having a conversation with Tilda Swinton, and... Chris really doesn't like this interaction. You want to explain why? It's awful dialogue. It is. It's it's dialogue that the writer knew where they were headed and they needed to force the dialogue to get there. And so it does not feel natural or like things people would actually say. Now, we'll take this line by line. There are three lines effectively that demonstrate this bad dialogue. When... Blanc asks her how she feels or how she felt during the dance. What did it feel like inside your body? Susie says, it felt like what I imagined it must feel like to fuck. First of all, the way they deliver this line, especially with the character who's supposed to be so repressed and innocent, is like, oh. Shocking. Was that shocking? Did I shock you? I said the word fuck. Like, no. But she says it that way specifically. What I imagine it must feel like to fuck, or something to that degree. Blanc replies, you mean fuck a man? Why would you ask this? Why would you ask this clarifying question? I think I know why. I think it's because she's, the way she says it, it's in such a creepy teacher hitting on student way. Like, yes. when I first heard it, I interpreted it as, oh shit, is she about to come on to her? But then what does she say in response? So she says no. And is it, you mean fuck a woman? No, she said, I was thinking more like an animal. I'm sorry, what? Then why didn't you say I felt like it, like what I imagine it must feel like for animals to fuck or to fuck an animal? Because I think they're trying to mix her naivete with the shockingness of her saying fuck, which is weird. It's so forced. It is forced. In three lines, they managed to demonstrate Really awful dialogue. Yes, we agree. 
<sighs> no, I was thinking more like an animal. <gasps> Did I shock you even more? No, because now I'm thinking, why didn't you phrase it like that the first time if that's what you were thinking? Why would you have said what I imagine it's what it must feel like to fuck if you knew you were thinking about animals fucking? I, because I think they wanted to make it very, very, very clear that she thinks of herself as an animal. Or there's this animal pulse or instinct that is womanhood. I just find it funny. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, oh shit, is she about to become an, uh, an inappropriate teacher? And then it just totally changes yes. where it's going. And I feel like neither actress, I feel like neither actress enjoyed working with each other because I don't think they understood each other's motivations. Right. Although there are those moments like when they're at dinner and they're staring at each other from across the table, communicating telepathically we're all, while all these conversations are happening around them. It is very, very much like a sexual relationship between a female mentor and her female student and how what sexual liberation and teaching and and like but ultimately it's just creepy. Yeah. And not in a good way. In a way that the movie thinks is sexy, but is actually exploitative. Well, what's interesting is that this conversation continues, and she asks, does this mean I get to play the protagonist? And and Swinton explains, no, you need to show that you can do this more than just once. You, you did great one time. Does that yeah. mean that you're going to perform like this all the time? She says, but I think that you have something that other people don't have. Olga did not understand Volk and lacked conviction. Thank you for your help in getting rid of her. So, yeah, it's almost like saying that she wasn't ready to become part of the coven, but that's really fucking unfair because supposedly you're not telling these women what you're supposedly preparing them for. Yeah. And how on earth can you say that they lacked conviction if they didn't know what they were signing up for in the first place? Well, what they're supposed to be convicted about, yeah. Really bothers me. Uh -huh. Really pisses me off because again, again, they are going to make Blanc seem like she is this wonderful, wonderful being. She's really not. She's kind of just as shitty as her sisters are, except that she happens to really like Susie. And she has a sense of propriety that they don't. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, I think Susie just likes her because she's like, oh, she gets it. She knows uh -huh. I'm who I am. Even though she fucking doesn't. Yeah. But like, this is, I'm going back to the whole tradition versus progress elevation versus maintaining power those are two different things i think the rest of the coven is very like laissez-faire with their power and they use it for just having fun and exerting their power to show how powerful they are and because they can there's a lot of because they can -ness yes. about it and Absolutely. So, so when it's like, oh, no, the Marcos represents tradition. No, Marcos represents us getting to do whatever the fuck we want. Yes. And Blanc represents progress, but requires discipline. And they're kind of not into that. And yes. that's why there's this political divide. To go back to that topic. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Meanwhile, Sarah comes to talk to Susie. And she says, will you do me a favor? Do you promise? And she says, yes. And she says, we might get caught. And Susie's got this little bit of a, you know, deviant, you know, wants yeah. to break rules. So, like, she's happy to do it. 
But again, does that make any sense if you're saying that she is Suspiriorum? Does it? Well, there's a difference between Susie and Suspiriorum in that she has the spirit of Suspiriorum in her. She is Suspiriorum, but she doesn't know that yet. So she still has this humanity about her, which will be completely erased by the end of the movie. Yeah. So she asks her if she'll do her a favor. We don't see what that is. That night, she has a dream sequence. (laughs) To which I wrote, oh, Here's a dream sequence, which I'm sure has just tons of meaning that I don't yes. give a shit about. <laughs> that I'm going to have to pause every single shot. And see, that's the thing is, whereas the entire original movie was dreamlike and nightmarish, this isn't at all. It has all these winter tones, these dull, drab, you know, it's Germany, you know, kind of thing going for it, which is funny because during the 70s in Germany, there was a lot of art going on. I mean, we're talking about a, a an interpretive dance studio. Like, why is everything so fucking drab? But it is where it puts its dreams, its nightmares are literally in Susie's dreams. And from what I remember, I feel like the trailer focuses mostly on these yeah. dream sequences to, to make, make it you seem think like, like it's, it's going to be scary yeah. and crazy. Uh-huh. And it's totally it's not. It's just in her dreams, so none of it feels real. And it's but for we... like a minute, and it's all flashing so fast that you can't possibly pick up on what they're trying to show you. But they... They are literally feeding her their dreams. So these are the things that goes on. These are the things that go on inside the witch's heads normally. I did not know that. No, there are multiple times they talk about feeding dreams to her, giving her their dreams. And uh, you could say also that it's like they were just feeding her images they wanted her to see. No, they say it's their dreams. But it's like. Oh, the older generations passing on their dreams to the younger generation. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like, what does this movie really want to say about that? It just wants to bring it up and seem profound, but not really say anything about it. But this is only where this dreamlike nightmarish quality is in this entire movie until the end. Well, there's like, there's a couple other dream sequences, but they're not as long. No, but that's what I'm saying. They're literally her dreams. Yes. And that's the only sequences that we get this. And this is when we get the Act 3 title card, which is called Borrowing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the first act was called, but I did write down that there was one. And then I t- missed two. Apparently that happened <laughs> at some point. But here we are now in Act 3, which is called Borrowing. So remember how I said Sarah asked Susie to do her a favor. Apparently that favor was I want to break into... The records office. The records office and look at my friend Patricia's records. While she's doing this, Susie hears laughter, which Sarah apparently does not hear. First, she finds a drawer full of confiscated lipstick and ends up taking one of the tubes of lipstick for herself, but nothing fucking comes of that. Yeah, who gives a fuck? She's apparently a thief. Who cares? Well, but she's, she's being mischievous and... She's expressing herself through makeup and beauty, and she's trying to be sexy, but it's like a sexy in a little the way a little girl might do it, you know. But anyway, yes, she does hear this laughter, and she finds a secret door that she heads through while Sarah is looking through the records. And what does she see? So I, I we earlier I, the police showed up. Yes, the, the police showed up. So they are torturing him. They've got him naked. They're all laughing at him. They've got these. Scythes? They're meat hooks. Oh, meat but they're not hooks. like real meat hooks. They're 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 almost like giant fish hooks, where they have a little loop on the end, like you might thread the fishing line through or something. But they're blown up to great proportion. 
What the fuck is this about? Why is this so important? Why is does it matter that they're ceremonial? Why does it matter that they that one gets dirty later and it's so fucking offensive? It's just a, a visual thing that looks cool and no explanation. But anyway, they tickle the dude's penis with one of them. <laughs> yeah. He's like hypnotized and he can't move and he doesn't know anything's going on and they're just fucking with him because they can, because they have the power to do that. Right. Later, the doctor will talk to the to the cops and they'll just be like, oh, we saw everything. It's fine. So the implication is not that they were really tortured. It's just that they were being made fun of and had no idea. Yes. But Susie but leaves. Susie she goes back to Sarah. And just acts like nothing's going on. She giggles a little bit like she saw something. And you brought up that maybe she is entranced by this a little bit. Not like bewitched, <laughs> but like. She, it, it appeals to her, like she wants to be a part of it. Yes. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Uh-huh. Uh, why else wouldn't she be horrified by it? Right. And why wouldn't she tell fucking Sarah that she saw a cop that was hypnotized and they tickle his penis with a giant fish hook? But then later she's disgusted by their behavior. I yeah. I don't get it. Right. Which is it? Is that supposed to be Susie that giggles about it, but Suspiriorum that looks down on it? And and there's just a line in the sand somewhere in the movie where it's just like all of a sudden she's superiorum and she acts as if she is superior to all of them. As the one of the three mothers, she is in the hierarchical sense, but she also acts like all this behavior is beneath me yeah. when her younger self was all like giggly about it. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tilda Swinton has decided that she wants to create a new piece. Fuck Volk. We're done with Volk. It's time to move on. So there's a segment in the movie where they do this new piece and then they just forget it happened and it, that it ever existed and they'll never talk about it again. Well, it's just Volk again. They're just back to Volk. Well, no, because they do say when they do perform it, they explain this is the final time we're going to ever do this. Yeah. Because now we're working on something new. and But like that's not in the movie. What's not in the movie? We don't see them finishing with Volk and then proceeding on with a new show. Right. So like what? Because here's why I think this is happening. Okay. She tells them we're going to do this whole new piece and it's called Open Again. She explains we're going to do this whole new thing. And meanwhile, she is aware that Tanner has brought in Mother Marcos again. And Mother Marcos is under the floor. And she says to her, I don't want this. And Tanner says, fuck you. We didn't pick you. You got outvoted. And she goes, no, no. You fucked it up with Patricia. You ruined that experience. You are not going to take another dancer out from under my wing until I say she's ready. Yes. Because Patricia wasn't ready. So in my opinion, this whole new ballet is basically her attempt at saying she's not ready. We need more time. She needs to work on this new thing. She needs to sh show that she's ready. And not that this new thing is a way of actually opening her up to it. Right. Okay. But again, Susie feels this pull, this connection. So when she's talking to Sarah outside of practice, she asks her, did you feel something, someone? And she goes, what? And she goes, no, something. Sarah's like, oh, that's so funny. What? Oh, that sounds exactly like something that Patricia would say. Yes. She has more of the dreams. She sees the light, the flickering light, kind of like yeah. from the first film. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is supposed to be Suspiriorum, 
but that's not in her? Whatever. She wakes up and screams, I know who I am, which I guess is supposed to be her discovering who she is. Right, but that's not the dividing line where her behavior changes. So, (laughs) Well, that's when the girls rush in and they say, oh, we're surprised it took this long. We all get nightmares here. None of us sleep well. Yeah, and, and they even describe like, oh, these are the nightmares that I felt. And and they'll like say, oh, I dream every night of this thing. And it's like, oh, that's we, we saw that in Susie's dream. Mm-hmm. So there is a consistency here. Well, yeah, but they like sleep in the same bed. And she's like, I haven't slept in the same bed with with another woman since, you know, my sisters. And she's like, well, we're sisters now. Yeah. And there is this sort of like sisterhood thing going. And I really like the relationship between Sarah and Susie in this one better than I like it in the original one. It's It's much more... It's much more real and, I, I guess, beautiful than... Well, Sarah's not nearly as annoying in this version. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we're in Act 4, Taking. Yep. The doctor ends up talking to the police. He's upset because they didn't find anything. And then after that whole long fucking conversation, he leaves. And then one of the cops follows him. And he says, by the way, I know you don't remember me, but I wanted to thank you. And he's like, thank me for what? And he goes, for helping me look for my wife, you helped me yeah, cross never Poland found her, off the you, list. Yeah, uh-huh. Why is this here? I get that you want to tell us about his wife. Couldn't you have done it in A, a more interesting way, or B, in a way that had anything to do with the rest right. of the fucking movie? Right, we're never going to see these cops again. We never see these cops again. And this whole conversation, like, the cop kind of looks bewildered. Like, yeah. maybe he doesn't even fucking remember doing it. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that Klemperer carries this weight around with him. This guilt that he never found out what happened to his wife. This is the part where we get the transgender character who can do the crazy jumps. jumps yes. And it's going to be taken into Susie. I disagree. I do not think the dancer knows what's happening. I think the d- dancer is afraid because I think all the dancers have been kind of shown that scary shit happens here. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't think she fully understands what's going to happen. Yeah. The girl is going to have like a um like a fit. And then when she comes out of it, she's going to grab onto Blanc. And Blanc is going to be very motherly to her. And guess what, guys? Very next day, that character, perfectly fine. Yep. Totally fine. Okay. The fuck was the point of that? Just to yeah. show us they had magic? We know they have magic. You've shown right. us they have magic. Right. Uh, okay. All right. Meanwhile, Sarah decides to go and speak to the doctor to find out what he knew about her friend. And he explains, your friend thought that there were witches. Your friend thought they were performing magic. And Sarah is like, it's a dance company and nothing else. Which is so weird that she would get, like, offended at the idea that something mysterious happened to her friend when she's the one that's been suspicious of this the whole time. Yeah, it's strange. She totally rejects Klemperer. I think she, I think the implication might be that she thinks that the doctor is trying to get her to say that she thinks the same so that he can say you have the delusion too. Or, but it's very strangely put together. Or that she can't, she's afraid to say it out loud like this might be a trick, a trap. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Uh huh. But like, to what end? Yeah. 
Then we get a really strange conversation between Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. Swinton says she wants to break the nose of everything that's beautiful. There are two things that dance can never be again. Beautiful and cheerful. Today we need to break the nose of every beautiful thing. Which sounds like a line from Fight Club. I want to put a bullet in the brain of every panda that won't fuck to save its own species. I felt like putting a bullet between the eyes of every panda that wouldn't screw to save its species. I wanted to open the dump valves on oil tankers and smother all those French beaches I'd never see. It feels like one of those I statements. I felt like destroying something beautiful is, yeah. the, is the line that you're thinking of. Well, I, I mean, the panda line is yes, also in yes, the movie. Yes, it's in there, but <laughs> the parallel is much yeah, closer uh-huh. to I wanted to. I felt like destroying something beautiful. Yeah. Where'd you go, psycho bull? I like destroying something beautiful. It's this whole stupid conversation, which I feel like the movie's biggest problem is that it constantly contradicts itself. I feel yes. like characters are constantly doing things that they're that their overall character would not have done. And it just worked for that moment, so let's just keep it in the film. It's called a contrivance, and the movie's full of them. Yeah. But it tries to like mask that with a thick layer of obfuscation of subjectivity disguised as objectivity. Susie ends up telling her, I want to be the company's hands, which I think is supposed to have lots of meaning. Meaning, yeah. But I just don't see it. Again, it's poetic, and it sounds powerful, but it's only evocative. It doesn't literally mean anything. Because you could argue, oh, the hands are the ones that are going to do things. Yes. So is the brain. So is the heart. So do the legs. What? Right. Why are the hands special? If you want to make hands special, you should have been doing shit with hands this whole time, but yeah. you fucking didn't uh-huh. because it's a throwaway line. Yeah. It doesn't that come up. That sounds profound, ever again. but isn't profound. Yes. That's this the that that's that right there is the movie. It sounds beautiful. But what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. You could talk and talk and talk about what it means, but it doesn't literally mean anything. It's just evocative. So that night is the night when the teacher stabs herself and the parent and the teachers are like, maybe we are, maybe we are assholes. But then it doesn't matter because then Sarah wakes up, counts the steps, sees a portrait of Marcos okay, and Blanc. she counts the steps. And I brought this up when we were watching the movie. Is there any point in the movie where they, where they talk about how they hear people walking places, but they can't tell where they're going and they and they decide to count the steps? All we all we see is just Sarah walking and counting. And if we hadn't seen the original, we wouldn't have known what the fuck she was doing. But did I miss a scene? I don't think you did. However... Pretty Little Liars taught me that this is a thing people do because Spencer in one of the one oh, of the Jesus episodes a, a, explains that she knows where to go because she always counts how many steps it takes to get to places. Right. Apparently that's a thing people right, do. Right, but they said that. They don't say that in here. All we get is just she's walking and counting. That's all we get. And so I imagine it would be – it's a big leap to go like, oh – there's noises that she heard before that were steps and she didn't know where they were going. And so she counted those steps and now she's recreating that. All we get is just she's counting steps. That's my point. She ends up seeing a portrait of Marcos and Blanc together. Mm-hmm. And you can Blanc tell. Blanc really young. Yeah, you can tell from the portrait that Blanc doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. But she's like the young protege to Marcos the same way that Patricia once and. Susie now are 
but Blanc's trying to really take Susie under her wing. But really what's happening is she's just grooming them to be the new young thing for Marcos. She sees the the display with has some stuff in it and one of the meat hooks is in it and she takes it along with some other things and she brings them to the doctor. And the doctor says, leave them with me. You shouldn't, it, it'd be like, get them, put them back, he says to her. Like, you don't want to be caught. This is very dangerous. But then he changes his mind. He says, you know what? As a matter of fact, don't even carry them with you. Just leave them with me and I'll take care of them. And he ends up wrapping them up with, I think, Patricia's diary and throws them into the river. Because they get it later. So I don't know yes. how that works. They don't say how they get it, but they find it later and it's dirty. And they get very upset about that. We get another flashback of the mom of Susie dying. And she explains that Susie was the sin that she smeared on the world. Yeah. I just want to make sure we get that in there because clearly she knew from the get-go something something was going on with her daughter too. Uh-huh. But they make it seem almost like I mean she's right. Her daughter except, is monstrous. Except that she's a good monster. Maybe. Well, we don't know what she does after she this. She doesn't like what her daughters did torturing people. Yeah. Well, like the that. wrong people, I think, is the problem. Because there's implication that they're going to get revenge. That she's going to get vengeance after this movie takes place. Just just not from doctors. Sarah ends up going to Susie and tries to explain what's going on and realizes midway through that Susie gets it. Susie knows. And so Sarah says to her, you are making some kind of deal with them. You don't know what they're going to ask for in return. You simply haven't seen the bill yet. Yeah. And I, course, I, that's kind of a cool line, actually. I like that. It is a good line. But here's the thing. Two things. Well, number one, first of all, Susie's fully aware. And it's very obvious when she tells her, you don't know what you're talking about. It's just a dance school. It's very obvious that she's just being a lying, manipulative bitch. Uh -huh. But also, two... But the truth is, is that it's Sarah who doesn't understand what the bill is. Susie yeah. is perfectly is, fine. She's starting to understand and is okay with it. She legitimately is okay with it. Yes. She does think it's great. Yes. Because Susie knows things that nobody knows. Yeah. So now we're in Act 5, and Act 5 is All the Floors Are Darkness. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yep. Sure. Or maybe I wrote that wrong. I don't know. But anyway. This is this is the act where Volk is performed. So, yes. Yeah, so, they're going to put on Volk for the final time. And Dr. Klemperer has been invited. Is that what happens here? Yeah. I didn't know why he showed up. I thought he showed up because he was worried about Patricia. I think kind of both. Sarah. But they're welcoming him in. Well, there are so many things going on in this scene. I'm going to try to pick them apart. Okay, so we forgot to mention, Sarah is off looking around at this point. Yeah. She ends up finding Chloe Grace Moritz and the contortionist girl. Who has had like her legs cut off, her feet cut off, or her don't know. hands cut off, I Something. think. Something like that, yeah. Uh, and they are alive. Uh -huh. And they are able to talk to her, but they don't seem to be aware of what's happened to them. And they look like... Deadites. They, they, no, but they, they look like the way Zombies. Marcos looked in the original, where they're all kind of like dirty and green and black and like... Zombie-ish. Yeah, uh-huh. But like, 
they don't seem to know where they are or what happened to them. Mm -hmm. Very strange. Well, it's like they want help, but they they're also a threat. It's it's very weird. But yeah, okay, they're alive and they're being held against their will. Do they have will anymore? We don't know. Yeah. And it's kind of important that whatever it is, whether they have a will or not, they're not getting to exert their will because that's going to come up later. So everybody is like, where the fuck is Sarah? And they're like, we don't know. Just dance as if she's with you. Yeah. Because she's not there to perform. And Sarah is supposed to be the counterpart to Susie's role. So they start to do the dance and... What do they do to Sarah at this okay, point? Okay, so Sarah's running away from the zombie friends. Yes. Her leg falls in a hole in the floor and her her shin breaks. That's right. Yes. Ooh. And it's a what's it is that a compound fracture where the bone sticks out? I'm trying to remember back from my Boy Scout days. <sighs> but then the witches show up Anything and Anything to screaming. do with bones showing. Yeah. I can't I can't do it. She's screaming. I don't she's mind crying. all the blood. Give me all the blood. <laughs> Bones, no, thank you. We'll talk about the blood later, but she's screaming, she's crying while the performance is going on. It harkens back to when Olga was going through her contortionist scene where they're intercutting the performance with the person in pain, except the performance doesn't have anything to do with this person in pain right now. Nope. So it's a, a little bit confusing there. But anyway, a group of the teachers show up and Sarah is terrified of them, but they heal her. But now they have her. I don't think they heal her. I think they put they the make bone it, back and then they like. I think you just can't her. see it anymore. Right. I, the implication is that she is dancing on a broken leg and simply can't feel the pain until it's over. Well, because now they they've hypnotized her in the same way that they hypnotized the the police officers, in the same way that they hypnotized Patricia and Olga, and they sent her back because it's more important that this dance is performed. So they send her out there. But at the same time, Susie is starting to ad lib because now she needs to perform as if Sarah's there when she's really not. She's starting to like do her own thing in the performance. And if they didn't explicitly say this in the movie, because interpretive dance is so interpretive and isn't objective at all, you would have had no idea that she was ad libbing anything. But they tell us that she is, so we know that she is. And that ad libbing snaps Sarah out of her trance. Whatever it is that Susie's doing with her body, whatever she feels it is, she has feelings towards Sarah, something's wrong with Sarah, she starts doing something that's not choreographed, and then all of a sudden Sarah snaps out of it, collapses to the floor in pain, and they stop the performance. And they kind of send everybody out. Mm -hmm. Susie apologizes to Blanc for going off book, or off script, rather. She says off book. I'm sorry I went off book. But off book just means you've memorized it all. Off script is you're doing something that's not in the script. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> but the point is, is that Susie is starting to exert power, magical power through her dance. That's not something that's being dictated to her by the coven. She's exerting her own will. Which I think both frightens Tilda Swinton, but also Excites inspires her. her. Yeah, uh-huh. So she full-on tells her, I'm going to make sure you don't have any dreams tonight. Yeah. Because she apparently deserves a rest. rest. Yeah. I don't know why. 
All right. So then now we're in Act 6, which is Suspiriorum. Yep. This is the one where that big design is all over the fucking screen and nobody, nobody says anything about this online. And it drives me absolutely nuts because other than the fact that it evokes like it gets more cluttered, the more the movie goes on and then it calms down after the climax. I mean, really, all you're doing is you're just visually representing the arc of a story. Like, we've all seen that with the rising action and the climax and the denouement. Like, it's not profound. That has to mean something more than that. But literally, no one is talking about the visuals of these title cards that separate the acts. It drives me fucking nuts. But anyway, we see Klemperer. Yes. He's going back to his old home that he shared with his wife. On the other side of the wall, and somebody's inside the house. When he says, excuse me, who are you? Out comes Jessica Harper, the original Susie from the original movie. That was fun. Playing Anka. She reveals to him that she's been alive, that she managed to survive. She was told that he had died, and so she moved on. But she's so happy that she's found him now. And it's you're asking a lot of questions like, how is this really actually possible? It sounds like a tragic story, and I'm happy you guys are together now. But this is a little too contrived. But the movie is doing this on purpose. And so they, in a very dreamlike state, so this is the act where we get that dreamlike stuff outside of literal dreams. They go together through the checkpoint, which, by the way... Nobody checks their documents. They just walk right through and they make it to the dance academy. And he looks up and he realizes they're at the dance academy. And then he looks to his wife and she's gone. So apparently she said that she could speak German in order to get the role. She was so excited to do it when they offered it to her. She said she could speak German. She had never spoken German in her life. And so she had to like get up to speed on the on what the script is. Yeah, so then the teachers are very excited to scream and attack him. Oh, yeah, that one blonde lady who pretends to be Blanc when the when the police officers come by, she comes out screaming and yelling at him for getting the hook dirty and what have you done? And they drag him into the into the school. Why should we pity you? You tell young girls when they come to you for help that they have delusions. Yeah. Which is funny because they're the reason she needed help. But again, whose side are we supposed to be on here? Is that not a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Are we supposed to agree with the witches here? Aren't we? Because these witches are bitches. But this witch is one of the good witches, actually, because she voted for Blanc. It's very confusing. It is. It's the movie doesn't have its own internal consistency. No. In order to support whatever it's trying to communicate. So this is the part where he gets, like, stripped naked, I think? Stripped naked, yep. And he's taken down to where all the girls are dancing. Mm-hmm. And the girls that were being, that were tortured are now standing there naked. Yes, yeah, so we have Olga, Sarah, and Patricia standing there naked with their backs to each other. And we see Helena Marcos. Yes. Also played by Tilda Swinton. Totally unnecessarily. Yeah, you can't tell it's her in any way. And it's totally pointless. Why? I guess she'd be like, why not? She has this, she looks like the butterball. Oh, she reminds me of a very specific character, but I can't for the life of me remember what it is. It's a cartoon character. No, she looks like, or she is evocative of 
the Butterball Cenobite. Yes, that's what it is. Yes. Yes. Yes, I knew <laughs> she looked like With those glasses something. and the shape that she has. Yes. And yes. There we go. But she also has like body parts coming out of her, like little floppy baby hands coming off of her arm and stuff Does like that. She? Oh yeah. I didn't notice oh, that. Oh yeah. She's she's this blob of different body parts put together. Oh. Yeah. It's like oh. they've been keeping her alive for a very long time and she speaks in a rasp. Susie comes down and Blanc is there and Blanc is like, okay, effectively through this scene, Blanc is like I mean, we're doing this because Marcos is the head of the coven. She is Mother Suspiriorum. So, like, I guess we got to do this. But she's trying to find any excuse to protect her protege, this young woman who she's come to love and want to elevate on her own. So she keeps saying, like, hey, if you're not ready, we don't have to do this right now. Well, it's so funny that you say that. Because I think that's what everyone in the room thinks about Blanc. That's why she's saying this. But Blanc says something is wrong. Don't you feel it? Yes. Can't you sense it? Yes. Something is going to happen well, She's more here. tapped into the actual witchcraft than all these pretenders are who just want to exert their power and have fun. Everyone thinks she's out for power, but in yes. fact, she's the only one that's like, No, something's wrong I here. I sense that something is going to happen. There's something wrong here. Can you not feel it? This is not right. We have to stop this now. Which is interesting because she doesn't want Marcos to win. She does want Susie to win. But Marcos, believing that she just wants power for herself, ends up killing Blanc here. She slices the back of her neck open and blood starts going everywhere. But before that, there are a few things that happened before that that I'd like to talk about. Uh When they're doing this, they perform the ritual, which apparently requires three girls to get their insides taken out. Yeah. Their guts taken out. While they're still alive. Which is exactly what we were talking about earlier. Was that always the plan? Yeah, who would have played those roles when Patricia was going to be the one? Because all three of these women are here now in the positions they're in as a result of Patricia getting rejected from the process. Yes. So who were the three women originally? The internal consistency of the movie is broken. Meanwhile, the man, the doctor, keeps shouting that he's innocent. Like, you could be you could be torturing Nazis, and here you are torturing this old dude who did, yeah. he's never done uh-huh. anything wrong in his fucking life. Yeah. Meanwhile, Susie is explaining that I'm ready for this. This is what I was here for. Because as Chris said, Blanc will consistently be like, I don't think you're ready for this. Are you ready for this? But she keeps saying, no. You don't have to feel pressured into it. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. I came here for this. So somewhere before this scene, Susie has gotten all the confidence in the world and... She she feels her own power now all of a sudden. We don't get to see that because apparently it's not important enough for us to see that transition. Marcos is getting stoked. She's telling her, you know, there's not going to be any space for you. There's only going to be space for me. And, and Susie says, okay. And she says, yes, it is finally happening. I'm going to get into that young body and it's going to be wonderful. And Blanc tries to interrupt this. She's like, no, 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 no. There's something wrong here. We got to stop this. And that's when Marcos kills Blanc. Yes. Slides open the back of her neck, so her head flops forward and she lands on her knees. And there's blood spurting out like an old Kurosawa movie. So then 
she comes, uh, Marcos goes up to Susie and she's like, I want you to think of that false mother that you had and I want you to expel her completely. Mm -hmm. She was never your real mother. False mother, never your real mother. Wow, that's really risky for you to be saying that, Marcos. I'm the only mother that you'll ever need. And then what happens to her? So... Susie asks her who she identifies as, who she, what mother no, she what relates to. No, what happens to Marcos first, before she gets asked that question? Doesn't Marcos explode? No. What happens to Marcos? Marcos just kind of melts. After, after Susie says, I am Suspiriorum. Yeah, I thought she exploded. No, she explodes everyone who voted for Marcos. Oh, Marcos dies in some form. Okay, yeah. So Susie asks her, like, who she claims of the three mothers. Who are you? And she says, Mother Suspiriorum. And she's like, I am she. I am she. Yeah, and it's like, okay, at first you're like, oh, okay, because now Marcos is going to go in her body. So that's so so in a way she kind of is. No, 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 no. Susie is literally the reincarnation of Mater Superiorum, and she brings forth this embodiment of her power in the form of this demon-like character who comes out and just starts exacting her revenge. And now the camera movements are all jaggy. Blood is everywhere. The whole room is red. Heads are exploding. And we're hearing them vote for Marcos. Marcos! And then head explodes. Yes. And then so everyone who voted for Marcos is getting their head exploded by this demon. Oh my god, and the music! The music that is playing to, in this okay, scene. Okay, we haven't mentioned this once yet. Oh. But the music is done by Tom York of Radiohead. So, okay. Go get fucked, Tom York. <laughs> I actually some of their music I think is pretty good. I'm yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Radiohead. I like their popular stuff. I'm but not, I like some of their even not popular stuff. Because it's like it's just a lot of Tom York going This whole scene where we're seeing we're seeing these people get murdered. Their whole bodies are exploding and it's to this ridiculous slow emotional music and it's just like what the fuck Marcos Marcos Who made this decision So Three or four times in this movie. So he did all the music for the for the movie and people are like losing their shit over it. But three or four times in the movie, he has lyrics in his songs. There's one at the beginning. There's one here. And I think there's one at the end. And there might be some another one somewhere in the middle. But there's actual lyrics. And we hear Tom York singing. And all I can think of is Radiohead. Or this is just his solo project now. And it kind of turns the whole movie. And every scene where you hear him singing, it's not the movie anymore. It's a Tom York music video. And that's the way it feels. And that's really distracting. And it's a real bummer for something that could have been a great scene. And I hear people talking about how beautiful this is with Tom York's voice in it. And like, no, it completely changes the tone it of the makes entire it laughable. scene. It does. It makes it laughable. It's so annoying when he imposes himself on the movie with his voice. It's distracting and especially so during the climax. 
Like, it's so frustrating. And then the other thing that we have going on with this scene is there's blood everywhere and all of it's digital. And I feel like I'm watching the deleted ending of Blade where Steven Dorff is a 90 CGI blood tornado. Like, that's what I feel like I'm watching now. And it's... I think she ends up ripping open Marcos's chest to no, see she her heart. Open, she rips open her own chest, and it looks very vaginal. And then she has her beating heart in there, which is like a reference to the original with the beating heart and the open chest. And how she says that she is superiorum. I, she has some profound line. I, I didn't write it down. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be hers because I wrote that there were maggots in the heart. Oh, that might be somebody's. But I thought there that is, was supposed but, to be Marcos. But Susie does open her own chest. But yeah, and, and then she ends up walking around and she asks the girls who are who were tortured. While all these heads are exploding and the camera won't stop moving, which is kind of cool, actually. So it's it's this the scene is all a conflict of things that I really like and things that annoy the piss out of me. And she asks them, what do you ask? Death, rest, to die, whatever it is. Yes. And so she gives it to them. Yeah, but all three of them say the same thing. And I was like would have been really interesting if they had asked for something else if she would have given that to them yes to live again and she would have been okay yes like but no all three of them asked for death and she kills all three of them there was an opportunity there yes they didn't take it and she decides to let the old man go and this is when we get the epilogue a sliced pear i hate everything so do i so anyway okay so Back at the... Oh, there's a weird shot of somebody picking up Tilda Swinton's head. Okay, okay, so, okay. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. In this room, all the living witches are now having to clean up all this blood and gore and viscera just everywhere. And it's kind of funny that there is a reality to the crazy fantasy of the previous scene. And they're all mopping it up. And then... I think it's the same lady who yelled and screamed at Klemperer about dirtying the hook and dragged him in and stripped him naked, sends him out again and is like, we're really sorry about this, you know, and has to apologize to him and sends him on his way. But how is he going to get back home? He has to cross through the border again and he doesn't have any of his documents because they didn't check him when he walked through the first time. It's magic, man. (laughs) But they're not sending him away with magic. They brought him there with magic. Anyway. And then she like grabs Tilda Swinton's head by the hair and pulls it back. And then Tilda Swinton's eyes open and she looks around and they're like, Oh my God, she's alive. She's alive. Then she just like, let's go. And her head drops back down again. It's such a fucking cop out that Tilda Swinton is still alive. Well, if that's what Suspiriorum wants, then she probably can have that. But it was weird. Also, her spine is severed. She's not going to dance ever again. And they don't address that. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to the final important part here. She goes to the doctor's house. He's lying in bed. She says, I regret what my daughters did to you. I was not in a position where I could have prevented it from happening. Right, because she wasn't back into power yet. So I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to tell you what actually happened to your wife, because I feel that you deserve to know. She explains... Bullshit, and I'll tell you why in a second. (laughs) She explains that his wife was in a concentration camp, was subject to exposure for a long period of time, and died. 
but she was surrounded by people who had grown to care for her and that she had grown to care for. She did and her not last feel thoughts, lonely. Her last thoughts were of him. Yes, and of their first date. Yes, and how important so that was to him. Sad. No, it's it is it's really sad and it's really sweet, but then she follows that up by taking all of his guilt away from him by making him forget everything about the dance academy and his wife. <laughs> so she just told him all this stuff to take it right back away from him, telling him gave him nothing. Taking all that away from him and not telling him would have accomplished the same exact thing. Telling him was for the audience yes. and for her. Yes. But she said it's a gift to him. Yes. That is bullshit. Yes. It was purely for the audience. Yeah. You're absolutely it's, right. The movie's up its own ass. But yeah, she takes away all her thoughts. And it's almost of all women because then he starts to have a seizure as she leaves. And then Miss um, Sesame or Sesame shows up and is like, doctor, doctor, are you okay? And he's like, who are you? And she's like, it's Miss Sesame. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. So like, does he remember her? Doesn't he remember her? I think he's just supposed to be in a state of happiness from now on. Yeah. I, I think that's all it is. Uh-huh. I have tons and tons and tons of notes for this movie, and I am certainly not going to go back through them. The more we've talked about it, the more I dislike it because it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't work. The plot is super flimsy, but it is it is surrounded with beauty and interesting things. That's kind of – if you just focus on that cushion, then you're going to enjoy yourself. But if you focus on the plot itself – it's not baked. Yeah. It ain't it, it, baked. I'm like, I asked the question, is it just that it isn't scary or as interesting or as intense? It's raw as the original? inside. Yeah. It looked pretty on the outside and then I put my fork into it and found that it was raw. Yeah. It, it, it's like- I watch a lot of Chopped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like baked in pretense almost, you know? There's a few things I wanted to say about the movie. It is a very patient movie. You know how much I like patient movies, but it's too patient in setting the mood. Eventually, it just gets boring. And I just like, come on, movie. Let's go. Let's move it. Because it's just over two and a half hours long. It's over an It's nearly an hour longer than the original. And that's insane. Walter Fasano was the film's editor. He edited Mother of Tears from 2007, which by all accounts is not good. It's the third movie in the Suspiria Mother's Trilogy, Three Mothers Trilogy. The guy who did the the S in Suspiria and that title card with the comb and everything is Dan Perry. He created the text crawl from Star Wars. <laughs> and one last thing, which starts with, according to Luca Guadagnino, the director, he showed it to Quentin Tarantino, who he became friends with after they were jurists. Uh, uh, in one of the um, film festivals. Okay. He showed it to him, and Quentin Tarantino cried. It was so moving. What did Dario Argento think? What did Dario think? He gave an interview early on in 2016 to IndieWire where he said, either you do it exactly the same way, in which case it's not a remake, it's a copy, which is pointless, or you change things and make another movie. In that case, why call it Suspiria? So even though he he gave permission for them to do it, he's like, I don't know why you're doing it. So then after having seen it, January of last year, Argento gave an interview to an Italian radio station. And he said that the film, quote, betrayed the spirit of the original film. 
There is no fear. There is no music, which is a huge slap in the face to Tom York, by the way. The film has not satisfied me so much. He said it was, quote, a refined film like Luca, who is a fine person. He makes beautiful tables, beautiful curtains, beautiful dishes, all beautiful. That was what he, what he thought of it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's really pretty. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean it's a good movie. Right. Right. Exactly. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 64. That's what it has on Metacritic. Okay. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a, a 65. Uh-huh. Suspiria attacks heady themes with garish vigor, offering a viewing experience that's confrontational and definitely not for everyone. Overrated or underrated? Almost exactly what I'm going to give it. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a 62. I was going to give it a 60. It's not a nothing movie. It isn't a nothing movie. I got something out of it. it. There's a lot that's really great about this movie. Unfortunately, there's a lot going against it as well. It betrays itself. Yeah. Like I, you say, like, well, I guess kind of like we say together, it's baked in this pretense and it's it's a beautiful dish. But as soon as you have to cut it open to actually consume it. It's raw. It's raw on the inside. Yeah. It has so much potential. And I just squandered all of it. It's like it's riding on its own high of somebody who's bought their own bullshit trying Far, to objectively describe far too a performance piece. Yeah. Thinking they know more and they can do – yeah, anyway. People need to have humbleness. Yeah. And I don't know if Luca does. <laughs> Especially since he's the only man who could bring this movie to life. Yes. <laughs> All right. Jesus Christ. Oh, this is going to be a long episode. And it's, we recorded way more than you're actually hearing. So deal with that, people. Mm-hmm. That is the end of our double feature. The late night double feature. Show. 1977 and 2018's Suspiria. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is a very exciting week for us. Uh Uh-huh. We are going to have our first guest since our very first year of doing this. Yeah, where we had Bob on for Christine. Yes. Uh, Next week, we're going to have one of my friends. Her name is Jessie, and I have mentioned a Jessie several times in the past. This is A different (laughs) Jessie. Yeah, this is a different Jessie. And she has wanted to be a guest on our show for a long time. So we're going to do that with her. We let her pick one of the movies. Uh She recommended The Houses That October Built. Did we watch that already? We watched. Okay. Oh, right. I've seen the movie. Oh, my God. This is a whole thing. We'll get into it next week, guys. It's The Houses That October Built. That's what we're watching. We're not going to get into it here. Okay. Yes. It's a lot to unpack. We're basically, I'm seeing it basically for the third time. You're basically (laughs) going to see it for the second time. Yes. It's, anyway. It's a um, thing, okay? uh, So we're going to be seeing the houses that October built. And we are going to pair that with, so the houses October built is a fake documentary. But apparently I'm not allowed to call it a mockumentary. Mockumentary is a comedy. It's comedy And that's not what it is. They're so, mocking documentaries. This is not – it's like a mock documentary. Yeah, I get it, but no. It's in a so, documentary style. Yes, where they are making a movie about haunted houses. So 
we like had a, haunted houses that people go to on Halloween, like the mazes and stuff. Like we that. had a really tough time coming up with a movie about this because while there are many films in the 2000s that talk about haunted houses, like and like I said, like ones that you walk through as, like a, theme as a park fun haunted houses, thing. fun houses, yeah. There are not a lot of them before, before the 2000s. 2000s. Mm-hmm. There just aren't. And the few that I did find did not seem to share the same feeling that this one evokes. So I went with a recommendation. We've gotten this recommendation from both Harry and Anthony. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pair it with a movie that by all accounts seems like it's going to be real fucked up called Man Bites Dog. Yes, which is about a documentary crew. Yes, it's a fake so, documentary yeah. about a serial killer. So while the subject matter is different, it is going to be about a group of people putting on a documentary. Yeah. There so, are other movies that are like this. Because we want to try to knock out as many recommendations as we can at all times. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this one's been recommended twice now. So, And if you also recommended it, please uh, accept my apology. We get a lot of recommendations and I... Don't do a good enough job of writing them all down. It's difficult to keep track of them all. <laughs> yes. Man Bites Dog. And The Houses That October Built. Yes. So excited for that? We'll see. That'll be next week. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get access to every one of our episodes, as well as an alphabetical list of every movie we've ever covered in beautiful poster art. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written reviews are an enormous help. So if you haven't done that already, please take a moment to do that now. Share us with your friends because that's an even bigger help. And God dang it, people. Thank you for listening in the first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey... Any last words? Magic is everywhere and all over the world. It's a recognized fact. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Smolens and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones We start with, um, what's it called when people talk over this? Narration. <laughs> You're not really supposed to talk about this movie. You're supposed to see it. Uh, <laughs> well, what the fuck are we doing then? That night, uh, there's some silly things that happen, but whatever. Each decision, every step of the way, feels necessary to contextualize the end result. Fucking, my arms are not long enough for the jerk-off motion that is in my soul. <laughs> you you spent so goddamn long talking about how important it is that it's set in divided Berlin, but you can't even tell me which side of the wall they're on. How important must it be? Is it of the Holocaust an expiration of collective guilt 
are both emotionally impactful as well as surprisingly complex. Why? What does guilt have to do with the actual plot of the movie? I guess you could argue that he has guilt over his wife. Yes, yes, yes. That's literally where the guilt lies. But why? What does it have to do with the themes of the movie? We need guilt. She feels guilty for the way that her children treat him. Right, but what is it saying about guilt? It's just a guilt exists? Is that what it's saying? Who gives a shit? I could say lots of bugs exist. What does that have to do with the theme? You have to right the wrongs that were done before. Oh, she does not write jack shit, and I'll talk about that in the end. (laughs) Here's a magazine called The Daily Californian. The article is called, We get it. You went to a dark room in Berlin, colon, Suspiria is your mate who won't shut up about their gap year adventure. (laughs) Their what year? Gap year. You know, between high school and college when they go on, when they go backpacking through Europe or whatever. Run for the exits in disgust or fall for this manic pixie dream girl of a campy supernatural thriller. And says, who is it? Who's there? Ah, I've been expecting you. The American girl. I knew you'd come. You want to kill me. You want to kill Helena Marcos. You wanted to kill me. You wanted to kill me. What are you going to do now, huh? Now death is coming for you. You wanted to kill Helena Marcos? Hell is behind that door. You're going to meet death now. The living dead. Yes. This great monologue that she gives. It's a great monologue. How, how... Clace, Clace? Superiorum. Suspiriorum, I say superiorum, Jesus. And I have mentioned, mentioned, mentioned. Jesus, do not hurt yourself. 